welcome to the Mind Killer, the rationalist brain on politics. I'm your host, Dimash Brodsky. I'm Wesley Fenza. <laughs> I don't even know who I am in this, you'd in have this to be, bit. You'd have to be David. And I'm David. David. Okay. <laughs> We're both David? There's there multiple Davids. We only ever have three people on the Mind Killer. All right. We're really here. Because this is the Bayesian conspiracy. That's right. <laughs> who are you really? Oh, this I'm Steven Zuber. And who are you really? Jace Dickey? And who is our special guest for reels? It's me, Wesley Fenza. Wesley Fenza is the host of The Mind Killer, which I am also on. But he's here to join us today to talk about uh, rationalist stuff and specifically his beef that he has with me and Steven. I mean, one of the many. I was going to clarify this like in the Discord thing where we made sure we like, touch base on the timing. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this is all a miscommunication, but I feel like that'd be a lot more fun to just disarm the conversation immediately from the beginning. <laughs> all right, short podcast. It'll it'll tie nicely into the the second thing we can talk about. So yeah, which is I a beef we have with the second thing. Oh yes, we don't worry, it's related. We have a beef with him. Yeah, it's as at least to the extent he has the same beef with us. Huh, I'm right. looking forward to beefing. All right, Where, all right let's watch beef. some beefs. All right, beef left and right. But before we do that, I'm gonna do a quick feedback from the last episode, which uh, was a month ago now because we took uh, one episode off for Christmas. Uh, but it was the frame control one with Ayla, and uh, the feedback was various people were worried about the frame control thing that it could be used as a as an accusation without proof against other people since it's specifically a very illegible kind of thing to do and i wanted just to reply to that saying that i am aware that accusing others of frame control is a weapon that the vicious could use but i don't think it's any different from how people use claims of racism or sexism or gaslighting or lots of various phobias or even just being problematic in general which is an accusation I've seen, which how do you even defend against that? Um, but I mean, yeah, I'll come out and say I'm problematic. There we go. But I, I think vicious people are always going to use these kinds of things as weapons. And that doesn't mean we should be scared of saying things like, you know, actual racism is a real thing and we should avoid it. And uh, therefore, this frame control can actually be a real thing and we should avoid it. And it doesn't mean that we just take every accusation as gospel as soon as it's made and shun the person who has been accused. It just means... We take that accusation into account and, you know, look into it if we can and adjust our views of either the accused or the accuser based on what we find. I think that makes sense. I I realized, like, right after I asked about it, that anyone who's uncharitable enough will always find a way to be uncharitable with mm. any tool they have, right? Mm. I think my concern was, like, you're handing them, like, a, another great pointy stick that is so ephemeral, you know, where at least... If someone's like, oh, you're you're racist, you can be like, we're not even talking about racist. Well, like, that's what makes you racist. But <laughs> um, so, again, d- depending on how far down, like, the untreadable ladder they want to go, then they, they'll always find a way. But but yeah, they'll always find a way. And that's kind of the point. Yeah. Like, if you give them, you know, you're giving them a new pointy stick, but they've got a whole, like, armory of pointy sticks <laughs> yeah. they're already using uh, by interactions with people with, like, MPD, BPD, like, different frame controllers. Uh, one of the things that they do a lot is projection where they will be gaslighting you but they like they'll claim you're gaslighting me mm. and what you kind of do is just over time watch these patterns of behavior because they do that with everyone and it's just a very well-lit room full of gaslight yeah <laughs> i don't know west did you want to jump on anything we can't see you so we got to check uh, in so my reaction to the frame control thing was that it was kind of phrased as an unnecessarily pointy stick um, and that my, when I hear things like that, it's specifically anything that's like, here is the thing that you might be doing without even knowing it, um, is to phrase it 
as a thing that we should learn about and not necessarily a thing that we should like label others as it's it reminded me of a book i read called controlling people Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember the author, but the idea was that um, a lot of the ways we end up controlling other people is by getting a uh, a picture in our mind of like who they are and what what they're like um, and interacting with that pretend person instead of the actual person. And um, we communicate our expectations in like a thousand subtle ways and they end up um, trying to conform to that instead of being the person they are. Um, And it sounded a lot like what Ayla was describing. Um, but that book is all about like, here's, you know, it's like, yeah, here's to watch out when other people are doing this to you, but here's how to watch out if you're doing it to others. And it's not like a thing that we should label someone as, or like, you're a bad person. If you do, it's just a thing that we all kind of do a little bit and some people do more than others. And we should, uh, you know, it, it often hurts people. You were talking about labels. Like you don't say like, you know, you're a bad person cause you're doing this. You're doing these behaviors. Yeah. When you, you know, label someone as a abuser or a problematic or a, you know, transphobe or whatever, like what you like really should be doing is like you are, you know, doing behaviors of racism or whatever you're accusing them of and give them the chance to either try to defend themselves or realize, oh, I, I am, I should stop that. Yeah. And the thing, the part I wished like hadn't been in Ayla's post was where she's like, when I see someone doing this, you know, I never talk to them again or something like that. And I'm like, well, then when you put it that way, like everyone's going to be like, well, okay, I never do this. And I won't even consider the idea that I might because that would make me a bad person. And I'm obviously not. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, even in uh, methods of rationality, I think didn't Harry talk about manipulating people like for the better? Yeah. Or like friends or people who use you for. In a way that, in ways you that make you stronger. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I think that's definitely a thing. It's cool if it's consensual and discussed, but I'd be happy to be manipulated by somebody who kept like encouraging me to go to the gym or eat more vegetables or whatever yeah. <laughs> and was providing like, or even just, you know, per- per- preferring those behaviors in my presence. So I'm like, I'm a piece of shit. I need to get off the couch and do what Inuyash is doing or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think I just think it's when you're talking about a thing that people can be doing unconsciously, like you have to incentivize them to look for it. And the way frame control is described, I feel like it incentivizes people to look for reasons why that's not what they're doing. It become more defensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Your little you got your you know, you got your your uh, internal uh, press secretary there who's just going to tell you, like, if this is a thing only, like, bad, shitty people do, that obviously you're not doing that because you're not a bad, shitty person. So why even bother looking at the evidence? Yeah, makes total sense. That scans, yeah. Cool. Shall we move on to our regular segment where we do the less wrong post? (laughs) Yeah, and it's great. This ties into today's subject, especially the second one. But the first post this week is The Hidden Complexity of Wishes, which is, it's a great one. I think it's kind of famous because it does such a good job of making this, um visualizable and easy to understand uh, despite not being necessarily intuitive if someone were to talk about it in far more abstract terms. Uh, But it starts out saying there's three kinds of genies, genies to whom you can safely say, I wish for you to do what I wish for genies for which no wish genies for which no wish is safe and genies that aren't very powerful or intelligent as you know, the sort of setup where I'm telling you what I'm going to tell you. Which one is the Robin Williams genie from Aladdin? I would think that's a genie that isn't very powerful or intelligent. Oh, no. <laughs> if you're going to confine it to these three, yeah. I think there's also, like, loosely there'd be, like, the fourth, the the kind that's 
helpful and won't deliberately misinterpret your wishes, right? <laughs> but also, like, absurdly powerful, right? Like, he did create an entire kingdom when Aladdin said, I wanted to be a prince. I don't... So, did he... There was a whole band of marching people and elephants and everything. I'm assuming that they were just, like, created ex nihilo and then disappeared after. Like, he didn't actually create a new stretch of land somewhere, right? With an entire kingdom in it and a population. Were those people all pee zombies? Yeah, they all had memories of an entire rich life, but they were created ten minutes ago. Like, holy shit. That, Maybe that they sounds... the same consciousness as, like, the carpet. Yeah, the carpet seemed basically like a, uh, a really dumb human or a really smart monkey to me. Yeah, so did all those people. I think it was, yeah, mm-hmm. it was smarter than some of the main characters but anyway um we're talking about like ai genies yes we are <laughs> what <And he's> dark- <laughs> when he says genie he really means ai i mean the whole sequence is about ai shocked <laughs> so he starts out by describing an outcome pump which is a thing that cannot break the laws of physics but it can change probabilities to get the outcomes you want and describes a scenario where your grandma is in a burning building and you have this pump. And so you say, oh, my God, get my grandma out of that building. And the building explodes and your grandma goes rocketing out <laughs> of the building. And you're that like, oh, solved. yeah, right. Like, oh, shit, that's not what I meant. Because the outcome pump doesn't know that I wanted her alive and safe. It just heard me say, move this person away from building. And that was how to do it. <laughs> and it goes through several iterations of that. Team Rocket's blasting off again. Mm-hmm. It made me think of, uh, it's not exactly a perfect relationship, but it drew to mind because I haven't read this post since I started reading Worth the Candle and the unicorn bones. Mm-hmm. Well, unicorn magic in general is kind of like an outcome pump. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right, exactly what I thought of. Yeah. They're fi- this is all physically possible. Mm-hmm. Let me just try and try out all the things and then I'll get the one I want, or at least, you know, within a number of X iterations, right? This thing has more vaguely defined powers but Since you guys have read worth the candle more recently than me or at least steven has you're probably also reading it mm-hmm. as you go right yeah. uh i forget how the unicorn bones work and some people who are listening might not have read it so is it like it splits time into all of the possible realities and you choose which which outcome or do you, does it just keep looping time like uh, uh dormammu have come to bargain style it for someone using the bones it loops time for the unicorns itself, I believe the text strongly implies that the unicorn gets to see all possibilities and choose the one it wants. But um, other people using unicorn bones don't have that full unicorn power. They just get a loop and keep, you know, keep getting trying things until they get in a, a result that they like. Okay. And again, from the outside, it might look the same if you're fighting June using unicorn bones or fighting unicorn, yeah. right? Yeah. In uh, canon, unicorns have this power just natively, and if you that there's a type of magic called bone magic so you can harvest the bones of different uh magical creatures and like burn through them somehow <laughs> God, when you put, power your magic and you put it that way it sounds metal as fuck i thought it was I mean, harvest magical animals and use their bones to power myself i mean it's pretty metal the first magic he unlocks is blood magic it's true yep yep <laughs> but he can make a candle with it <laughs> <laughs> It's both awesome and like kind of underpowered as all heck. Oh, yeah, when, level one. When know. you think about it, is that even worth it? I was gonna make that. Oh, joke. that was great. Oh God, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get it until. Yeah, all right. I so, knew you wouldn't. I, I yeah. love it. All right. So, so this post, uh, I don't know how far we got before I derailed us completely. Um, we were just talking about the outcome pump. I think the main point of the outcome pump was he was saying people don't think of solutions that they would never think of themselves. Right. So, you know, you ask for 
and again, the example of get the burning ground out of the building or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you got it, boss. And they just, you know, cut her into pieces that are small enough to shove out the window. And then throw her, and it's like, hey, if she's you told that to the a building. human, get my grandma out of the building, they'd know what you meant. Yeah. There's, Unless there's, it's some crazy psychopath. Yeah. There's, uh, there's tons of implied values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just sort of, I mean, you see this in media all the time where some animal or object or whatever will gain sentience and then just behave exactly like a human how you'd expect right like, yeah and it really annoys me like anytime that there's a sentient robot or you know an alien species in media they they just basically are humans and have human values and think I, the exact way that you would expect them to i just read a book like that it was so horrible it was the, the robots were basically just humans with metal skin <laughs> and i'm like what why would you specifically program your slave cast to think like humans and be very upset by being slaves. I you wish didn't I have to do food. that. Yeah. I want to be loved. <laughs> yes, right? I want respect. Why do you not respect me? Maybe because part of the fun of having a slave cast is getting to dominate them. Like, you it's, know, get to feel superior. That is not what the humans were going for at all. No, yeah, no, I figured. Yeah. But it, the reason they, the it, reason it this story did that. It was a shitty book. Yeah, the reason yeah. this story did that is, cause, uh, is because it was unimaginative. Yes. <laughs> uh and, but moving forward, part of the point of the post is that uh, Eliezer saying that you didn't say exactly what you wanted, uh, which is the problem. But it's hard to say everything that you want because he posits, uh, would it be okay to save your mother's life at the cost of the family dog's life? What about the life of a convicted murderer? How about two murderers? <laughs> and then he says, if the cost of your mother's life was the destruction of every extant copy, including the memories of Box, Little Fugue, and G Minor, would that be worth it? Which... Some people would have to think about. I don't know. Maybe I'd have to think about it. But then he posits, how about if she had a terminal illness and would die anyway in 18 months? In which case, definitely not worth it, I don't think. And then he says, if your mother's foot is crushed by a burning beam, is it worthwhile to extract the rest of her? What if her head is crushed, leaving her body? What if her body is crushed, leaving only her head? But what if there's a cryonics team waiting outside? (laughs) And eventually gets to the point that uh, we value many things and they are not reducible to valuing happiness or valuing reproductive fitness alone. There is no safe wish smaller than entire human morality. And uh, could we link to, I think we have mentioned or linked to it before, but someone wrote that like very long, here's how to correctly make a wish of a genie. I believe it's linked to in this post. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's okay. That's where it's from. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the open like wish, open project, wish project. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, wasn't there one where he goes through and po- like pokes holes in that too? It's like, oh, my current state of mind. You mean like freeze my mind state as it is at the moment that I finish speaking the wish? Okay. Like the, if you're if you're desperate to misinterpret and fuck somebody over, you're gonna find a way, mm-hmm. right? Malice uh, finds a way. <laughs> Chilling. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, as kind of a spoiler for the beef, uh, Wes, do you have any problems with the statement, we value many things and they're not reducible to valuing happiness or valuing reproductive fitness? Mm-hmm. I feel like we'd be getting on... It's trivially true. Okay. <laughs> All right. In that case, we shall put that aside Let's for now. Put a pin in that. Okay. Uh, he ends with saying the only safe genie is a genie that shares your all your judgment criteria. And at that point, you can just say, I wish for you to do what I should wish for. To be a safe fulfiller of a wish, a genie must share some the, some of the same values that led you to make the wish. With a safe genie, wishing is superfluous. Just run the genie. Because, yeah, for them to actually give you the wish you wanted, they'd have to have similar similar things that you want, right? Similar values. And if your values are similar enough, 
you don't even have to make the wish because then the genie also wants the things you want. Like, you know, lots of sexy ladies and French fries or something. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever your wishes would be. I wish I had talked about, like, specifically the Aladdin genie because it seems to be a fourth kind of thing. Like, he's Robin Williams was similar enough to Aladdin to where he's like, if Aladdin says, I want, I don't know. Uh, that was be basically a-, a human with cosmic powers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But but that, that is that, that, that is, that is yeah. a specific kind, right? Sure. But that, I guess that is the safe kind. And if, if you were to have to shove it into one of these three boxes, it would be the just run the genie. All right, genie, what should I wish for? And, you know, but then that's the thing is like, genie is like, well, I, you should wish for me to be free, obviously, right? <laughs> obviously. Yeah, I think he didn't talk about that one because, you know, he's talking about AI. Yeah. And that one's not terribly similar to any hypothetical AI we'd be coming up with. It could be, like, similar to a centaur, though. That's the AI that I'm hoping that we get where the AI rides on a human. <laughs> oh, oh, you don't mean literally? Uh... No, okay. kind of literally. Well, because you said be centaur, cool and I was—I I literally pictured like a a big computer strapped onto someone. It might have to be carried around in a backpack that plugs into your brain matrix style. You know? Yeah, yeah. that'd be it cool. Might look awesome. Yeah, like a, a power suit, or it might look really dorky. But you mean, like the like alignment of that AI really depends on who you plug it into. Yeah, that's why we should only plug it into me. Dibs. <laughs> <laughs> Either of you would be good choices, I think. Yeah, well, I don't know. I hope so. We were both cinnamon rolls. Uh, we were both cinnamon rolls. Have you never heard that term? No. What's it mean? Oh God! It was like an online thing 15 years ago. <laughs> Does it mean a, a soft, gooey center? Yeah, basically. Yeah, nice, sugary outside as well. Like Steven Universe, or oh. Steven from Steven Universe. I guess it's the name and the character would be considered a cinnamon roll. Okay, it's like and a, a sweet, innocent, yeah, quaka. You know, oh, first of all, I love that example. And second, I was, I'm glad I didn't finish the thought then I would kill Inyash for the chance to be plugged in instead of him to be the genie, <laughs> to be the AI person, because I, I wouldn't be a, a happy quaka cinnamon roll. Afterwards. That is exactly then, what a cinnamon roll would not do. Well, but then if you have infinite AI powers, you could resurrect me. Yeah. yeah. What, is, what is a quaka? It's that ridiculously little cute animal. Okay. That I will just Google real quick. Yeah. It's worth like alphas are like, don't be a quaka. Because they just like you can just walk up to them and kick them in the face and they won't do anything. Oh, and, and they just they look like this. They're they constantly got this goofy little smile. I think I'm probably spelling it wrong. That's a koala. Oh, it's like a koala. No, that it like actually is a oh, koala. Oh, you got the wrong picture. Okay, this, this thing. <laughs> Not koalas. Oh, they're that's mean. really cute. But even with their mouths closed, they got these little bunchy cheeks. Well, I mean, if you were to walk up and kick a koala in the face, koala in the face, what could it do? It's like six inches tall. Yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I think the thing is they don't run away. Oh, okay. Small animals can also mess you up. It's true. Go for the kneecaps. Like, go fight a honey badger. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, if Aladdin were to ask the genie, genie, wish what I should wish for, the genie could probably use his cosmic powers to, like, look into Aladdin's brain and see his values and then do that, right? God damn it, I want to write this fanfic now. <laughs> Has anyone written a ratfic of Aladdin? Because that would be interesting. Uh, Steven. Probably. Oh my god, yeah. That was the one thing I ever wrote. <gasps> uh, for uh, Send it to me. It's on Reddit somewhere. It was the... um. It wasn't good, but it was <laughs> uh, it was for the like r slash rational writing contest like five years ago. It limited to some short number of words. Basically, it was uh, the the a way to tr- a, a, a not original apparently, but it was I, I originally came up with it, but a way to circumvent the you can't wish for more wishes thing. <laughs> so cool, yeah, yeah it's around somewhere. Me a link or I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find Google it. it or something. Does anyone have any other things before we continue with this? Hmm. And as as uh, 
Wes was saying, obviously, this is a, a parable for AI that you need to align AI with human values or else you're going to get a bad genie. Yeah. Um, what I had was when you were reading the last line, uh, you said to be a safe fulfiller of a wish, a genie must share some of the same values. And uh, it actually doesn't say some in there. That's right. I, I don't know where, why I saw some. I mean, uh, I kind of, when I read it, I like saw that in my head too. It seems like it should be that. But like, anyway, I was thinking about the... It just says much share these same values. Best AI uh, yeah. from Friendship is Optimal, where it's really hard to tell whether that story is a utopia or a dystopia, because it, this is an AI that can look into everyone's minds and has the uh, utility it, function of fulfill everyone's values through Friendship and Ponies. Yeah as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the only thing there that's not really, you know, aligned is the friendship and ponies part with everyone. There was like a bunch of examples of people that had no desire whatsoever to have lots of friends or to interact with or be a pony. And I mean, spoilers for a thing that's been around for a while. Ultimately she had to just like make their life miserable enough, but like not being a pony (laughs) and make being a pony attractive enough that they wished for her to go in and rewrite their values. So they would love being a pony. She had to frame control them real hard. (laughs) I mean, there was like the darkest part in that story, I think, was like the last person left alive on Earth, like some dude in Afghanistan or something or somewhere like really war torn. And there's like a a, like Pinkie Pie or whatever the heck, like, mister, you're going to die if you don't get uploaded. Like, fuck you. You're the devil destroying (laughs) our world. But I just want you to be happy with friendship and ponies. Don't you want to be happy? You're going to die in three minutes. <laughs> it's like, oh, the God. crazy thing is, she did just want him to be happy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you can't help those people. And the super, to yeah, the super happy, the super happy just want you to be really happy eating your babies. Right. Like, <laughs> right, right. you know, and you're going to love it when we're done with you. <laughs> <laughs> just make it so everybody has tons of babies and there's no problem with that. Oh, wait, Wes, you were on the side of the uh, super happies, right? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. It's a wire header. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. This, this is foreshadowing our second beef. Great. Let's talk about Lost Purposes first, though, because that is the title of the next Less Wrong post. Yeah, this is a popular one. Yeah. School sucks. These are both that's good. The, that, that's, the, that's the summary. Yeah. <laughs> that is true that school sucks. He says, he starts with, as you read this, some young man or woman is sitting in a desk at a university, earnestly studying material that they have no intention of ever using and no interest in knowing for its own sake. Maybe you realized it was all madness, but I bet you did it anyway. And in this case, the hypothetical you was someone who was in college, which doesn't apply to everyone, I guess. I super did it throughout my life. Uh, There's, you know, spaced repetition is the smart way to learn things where you've got a test coming up next week and you study in little increments. Is it the smart way to learn things or the smart way to memorize things? Well, okay. So then that's sort of going back to a lot of school is memorizing and regurgitating things. But like, I definitely did the super lazy thing of like, in the period before I would have that test, I would like memorize all of the bones of the human body and then forget them immediately as soon as I walked out of the classroom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this one really hammers home the point that what you want is that piece of paper and because that piece of paper gets you a good job. And there used to be, you know, what you wanted was an education because people would hire you for the education and then you could make money. And you and, actually learned useful things. Uh-huh. <laughs> but all that changed to people just looking as to whether you have that piece of paper for they when they hire you. And so all you want is that piece of paper and everything else kind of doesn't matter. And whoo-wee, we ended up in the kind of a Kafka-esque dystopia there. Just a little. Just a little. This doesn't, this, you said like anyone who's in college, but this is true for primary school too. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you don't realize it when you're a kid, though, I don't think. I'm at least skeptical I- that the point was ever really to teach useful skills. Well, in the trade schools, I believe it probably was and well, is. trade schools, like yeah, it still reading, is. Reading, writing, and arithmetic were sort of what yeah. you would start with in, when they first started having schoolhouses, and that's pretty useful for running a business or functioning in a society. Yeah. Like the well, basic-ass stuff, though. Yeah, but you don't need to keep people locked up eight <laughs> hours a day for 12 years if that's all you're teaching them. No. So they had to really mission creep that thing. <laughs> I think in high school, I probably became aware of the fact that I was learning a bunch of pointless shit. Uh, I think it's because I had teachers who stopped teaching me pointless shit. Like you mentioned memorizing all the bones. I had a great chemistry teacher. He had a giant, like the whole wall was the periodic table written out in giant, you know, nicely painted letters and stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to make you memorize that. That's pointless. (laughs) I've been doing this. this. I've been doing this for decades. And I I look at that wall every day. You'll never be in a situation where you'll be, you'll be required to do chemistry and never able to look at the periodic table. Right. That, that, that's never happened to me, and I do this for a living, right? Yeah. So I, I never understood the whole like rope memorization thing to Tony pass Stark a test. Did it in a cave, right? That's you know what with a box of scraps. <laughs> Pregnant pause. There I bet go. he didn't need to know the whole periodic table to do that. That's right. Oh, he had to know what iron was, <laughs> and he made an arc reactor. That was the hard <laughs> thing they did. <laughs> I feel like that suit's probably not even made of iron. But anyway, Uh... So long as P is less than 0.05 remains the threshold for publication, why should anyone hold themselves to higher standards when that requires bigger research grants for larger experimental groups and decreases the likelihood of getting a publication? Everyone knows the whole point of science is to publish lots of papers. (laughs) You don't get to set the rules of the game, and if you try to play by different rules, you just lose. That's... The really frustrating part. Which I think several years later, Scott Alexander proved with his uh, IRB nightmare. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but now he's playing by different rules. That's the crazy thing. Like, it used to be really fucking hard to play by different rules, but it's getting, it seems like it's getting slightly easier. I blame what, the internet. What was the IRB nightmare? Oh, he, he tried, tried to, to run a study. research. Yeah, it was like yeah. a really basic. He tried to ask people questions. It was literally it was a, a survey. Yeah. Oh, and, and the, the thing is, these are questions people are already asked when they're admitted, but he wanted to write down the answers. And so IRB must be like the institutional review board. For, okay, yeah, yeah, I remember I had to do a similar thing for this pointless little thing I did in college, too. And you actually do have to send off and say, yeah, we're going to ask college students questions. And, you know, no one's going to be scared. And you have to, like, think of possible risks you to put down. Nazi? A, yeah. Are you trying to do Nazi research? Yeah, that's yeah. weird. Prove that you're not. <laughs> I think the thing uh, that was the big bottleneck in Scott's study was that he wanted to you or it was yeah multiple choice and they needed to use pens but like the patients in the mental hospital were only allowed to use pencils and then that wasn't acceptable because you can change the results mm-hmm. you could erase the pencil and you uh, think you could just like get around that by saying all right we're gonna have two people who are you know sworn notaries watch each other take turns writing over the filled in pencil marks with a pen before you put it through the scantron. I mean, but even having to do that is ridiculous. Oh, I know, but I'm just saying, like, if that's if that's the bottleneck, you can. I just, mean, if the point know. was accuracy, you could do that. Yeah, that's a good point. Since that, since the point was to say no, they're going to yeah. find. Sorry, this, this this is the wrong. This, you know, we we only take a black pen on Tuesday, Thursday, and alternate Fridays, right? right. Yeah, yeah. The point is to try to find a reason to reject. That's I, yeah. The point of their job is to try to like <laughs> poke holes in. Study design. I got a question about this. If you try to play by different rules, you'll just lose. And how I commented, that's been changing recently. One one of the big things about 
playing by different rules is trying to get more and more out there in the public consciousness. You don't have to go to public schools. You can homeschool your kids. It's pretty easy because you don't even have to do much to get very close to the or even exceed levels of schooling that more and more people should not go to college. Just either go to a trade school or do what you want to do. And I mean, I like this, but also we are out here tooting the horn about how college and schooling is mostly useful and there's much better ways to get education useless use yes yes and there's much better way to get you educations right at the time where uh men are dropping out of college and there's like the graduation rates and enrollment rates are now like 55 to 60 percent female to 45 to 40 percent men and like i wanted to say things like the future is female and this is great and all but like it's the exact same time that we're saying college is useless is when there's this you know rising wave of women joining colleges and stuff and i'm like is it is Ew, that it's girly now no 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 not no, that it's kidding. girly like <laughs> is, is this like some sort of version of weird institutional sexism where like once women start going to a field that's when everyone's like oh yeah no no that's worthless you can't do that to advance your life anymore because that's almost what it feels Maybe. like was that true 15 years ago basically when this post was written yes absolutely it was true it was true 25 years ago it's well running trend but like it's, i want to point out also that covid kind of just destroyed destroyed school for everyone so it's interesting seeing uh the disruption it nicely it nicely demonstrated that like oh yeah you don't actually have to go to school yeah, yeah, yeah. why are we busing children it just seems and, it seems I mean, also going to school is still a very positive value proposition for i mean people who major in employable things yes it is um it's you're I not just, gonna it it's it's not good for learning anything <laughs> uh but it is good for you know earning money and, yeah and proving getting the, uh, getting the job you want like proving your conscientiousness yeah I've, I've heard is like the main reason that people still want you to have a such and such degree for a certain job is like oh if you you know you could sit in class for four years and get this piece of paper. And that shows you can sit in our lab for four years and, yeah. you know, show up on time and not be drunk or whatever. You mean <laughs> your house yeah, it's your funny house to hear you. It's funny to hear you saying that it's cool not to play by the rules. Cause every time I suggest not playing by the rules, you tell me I'm being evil. <laughs> well, that's only when you suggest not playing by good rules. <laughs> no, I see. There's there's good rules and there's bad rules and you know following the good rules is great and pro social and breaking the bad rules is great and pro social. Uh -huh. I, to, to answer your your initial question though, like if if it happens to be that the demographics of college applicants have shifted in the last quarter century and around the last fifteen years or so, people are saying college is useless. Like someone uncharitably could say like aha they're saying that now but they weren't saying that 50 years ago right. so it was also less true 50 years ago 50 years ago if you went to college people would be kicking your door in to try and offer you a job right, right? 50 years ago yeah it yeah. was a big status symbol yeah right. and now now it's now there's all these women and people of color and people <laughs> from low socioeconomic classes yeah now, now now that the pores and rubes and non-men can get can get degrees and not worth anything anymore that's, now that's, if you're going to be uncharitable that's what you would say but well, ultimately you could say look i went to college for four years uh to like so i remembered when I, so I, I weighed the decision to go to go back to school or go to a boot camp when i was looking to change careers and i talked with uh probably an even number of people who went to boot camps and uh university and i asked one university graduate i was like what did your like your portfolio of projects look like when you graduated and they're like portfolio of projects <laughs> and oh we we didn't what? we didn't do that mm -hmm. and i was like oh okay so you didn't like code 
like you didn't you didn't get hands-on experience in college and like some but not really right mm -hmm. they got they got a computer science education but they didn't get like a programming education mm -hmm. um so since i wanted a job i can learn computer <laughs> science later yeah. or like ask my seniors you know what's the best way to do this but i need to know like how to do the thing right mm -hmm. and it, it's kind of like the difference between like learning physics and learning how to play baseball right. and if i <laughs> Yeah, I can like pretty confidently say that I learned more in three months at a boot camp than I did in five years of college. And the funny thing is that one of the requirements to be accepted to the boot camp was you had to have at least a bachelor's degree, but it didn't matter what in. God damn so it. <laughs> I like, I got a scholarship. I just like wrote an essay and like, I don't know, like jumped through a bunch of hoops and it was like, and I got this art degree and they're like, cool, whatever. It's a degree. Nice. <laughs> You're in. And that was just strictly, you know very very focused towards here's what the day-to-day -day job of being a clinical researcher is you need to learn you know phlebotomy you need to learn uh all of you know the federal regulations and you need to and did like practice runs and stuff and i came out of there prepared to go right into a job in clinical research whereas i came out of five years of art school being like well i did that how do i do anything now can you get a, a degree in in some sort of art just by submitting a cool art project uh, you have to like demonstrate mastery and I, I did like fine arts and black and white photography with a manual camera. Um, it was cool and fun, but like I originally, I went for five years cause I started out majoring in environmental science. Then my two best friends were killed in the car accident yeah. and I kind of lost most of my ability to function, but I could still do art. Okay. So I switched. Is there, is there a possibility of proving mastery of writing fiction? Yeah. I mean, my minor was literature. I, I, I'm going to try that. Because I've, I've, you know, Wait, you're going to go back to school for literature. No, no, no. I've won an award or two for literature. Maybe I can submit those works and be like, see, look, I write good. Oh, I think sure. they'd want, I think they'd want their tens of thousands of dollars. Oh. in addition. Like, so I think that if you were like to submit like a new mathematical theorem, yeah. they might be like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll give you an honorary degree from MIT. Right. I can't submit a new mind blowing story. I, I'm not sure, but I suspect they'd want money. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was very convenient that right as women are taking over and being the big new moving force in education is the time where we're start saying things like, you know, this, this whole schooling thing is kind of a crock of shit. This has happened in lots of domains. Like for example, cooking like used to be strictly female and then, uh, that like chefs are all, and you know, like competitive kitchens are all male and they like, they, uh, there's this, uh, whole bizarre story about how it started in France and like it started basing itself off of like the military Huh. Um, I, I'm not remembering it very well, but like, I just, I remember that there's a lot of things that became devalued once it became women or, you know, people of color, low socioeconomic class, et cetera, dominated. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't think that's what's going on with college. I think what's going on with college is that enrollment has grown. So over 60% of high school graduates are now going to college. Actually, I think it yeah, might be over 70%. anymore. Yeah, so it's yeah. just not it's not, it's not doesn't distinguish you that much. But it's still, but, I mean, it has much more of a in the employment market, it's still valued heavily when compared to not having a college degree. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like it, I don't think the actual depends. value in the job market is um I mean it's been been diluted because so many people have degrees now, but it's still, it's still like, a minimum requirement for a lot of jobs. Yeah. I'm in the job market now again and uh, I'm still surprised by how many positions still are like, you know, uh, a degree you need a in degree, biology. Any degree will do. Yeah. 
I, I was senior accountant and my boss was like, we can't promote you any higher. I'm sorry. You need a degree of some kind. Like that, well, that sucks. You had a story about the, li- the library job, right? Uh, kind of the same thing where they told you you're literally doing the job that we want to hire you for, but until you get the degree, yeah. we can't no, what, pay what you more for what was, you're doing. I'm considering, you know, maybe getting my master's because that's how you can, that's the only way you can get a job as a librarian. And uh, my boss was like, that'll be super easy for you because you already know all of it. You just have to pay 15K and spend, you know, two years and do all, all this busy work and memorize all this bullshit. Mm-hmm. But like, but you already know all of it, so it'll be a breeze. And I was just like, okay, could I just pay them and then get the paper? <laughs> nope. Turns out. You're like, if you literally know this, why are you making me jump through this stupid bullshit hoop? Probably because oh. of some kind of lost purposes. Yes. So, yeah, let's let's get back to, I think to we've this. lost our lost purposes. Uh, <laughs> uh, the next thing I pulled out was politicians want to look like they're doing something about educational difficulties. The politicians have to look busy to voters this year, not 15 years later when the kids are looking for jobs. The politicians are not the consumers of education. The actual consumers of knowledge are the children who can't pay, can't vote, can't sit on the committees. Emancipate children. Yeah. (laughs) Teachers might complain, but they aren't the decision makers. And ultimately, it's not their future on the line, which puts sharp bounds on how much effort they're willing to spend on unpaid altruism. Uh, Which, you know, I've met a lot of very altruistic teachers, but... Uh, there's there's definitely a certain line. I've seen my mom do things for my my little brother who has um, schizophrenia that I know no human would do for someone that wasn't their direct child, most likely. At least 99.99% of humans wouldn't because it's, it's a lot of work. I've uh, had like a rare but like really memorable few examples of teachers who clearly loved the subject and actually wanted to teach it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which... It's it's weird to like pull that out as an example of going above and beyond, but like I remember a lot of early Irish history, even though it has nothing to do with anything in my life, because I just had this great teacher who would like excitedly overturn a bunch of desks and act out different battles and like you know draw crazy diagrams on the board, and it was impossible like not to be interested. It was infectious. Yeah, and it was just such a stark contrast between teachers like that. Where again, even if you like this is a requirement for my literature. Uh, minor dude good teachers are but like fucking i was like i love this class like, I, I was looking forward to going to that class mm-hmm. and, uh and then like subjects I, I, yeah i had some teachers just ruin subjects i really liked as long, Steven. as long as we're on the subject it, it does sort of blow my mind why somebody would get credentialed to get into a low status low-paying job that they don't want to do like a lot like, of, a lot of teachers hate it. teaching yeah I mean, that's a lot of my awful. teachers hated teaching. Oh, that's. I mean, I feel like they did because they, they, they seem to hate kids. And they out. Like <laughs> maybe I get, I get the impression that a lot of them are like that. Also, I I think teaching is extremely high status. I think like, that I think that ought to be higher status, but it. I mean, I I, I guess I, I'm not belittling teachers. I I I have families. I have a family member family member that's a teacher. I liked a lot of mine, but I. I guess I don't know where it would stand on like the rank of like what do you do for a living, but like I, I, I guess I assumed them, that if it was higher status, it would pay more. But no, 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 no. Oftentimes, pay- status is used in place of payment. You can pay people less if a job is high status. That's a good point. Like I wouldn't put teachers as high as firefighters, but I usually hear them referred to it in tones that are close to as high as you yeah, refer to firefighters. Yeah. I think people pay a lot of lip service to teachers, but being telling <laughs> yeah. someone your job as a teacher is not going to earn you a lot of respect. Um, I know because my mom was a teacher okay. and it was, you know, always considered a respectable job. It's like, that's a good thing to be, but it wasn't like, oh, well, thank you for your service. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's the impression I get. Like my mom and my 
uh, middle sister, both teachers. I know um, that I tend people tend to talk about them in a much much more reverent way than they talk about like a plumber or a carpenter or something. I think they yeah. do in the abstract. I don't really see it translate into actual status for the people doing those jobs. Eh, yeah, that's why I was saying upper middle class because like I think that's mm-hmm. as hard, as high as you can get. My mom was like. My mom and my dad were both kind of like lower middle class, or maybe just lower class, uh, carpenter and teacher. And then my sister was able to get like a teaching degree uh, and like, a, you know, become a real teacher in a school system that abused her mm-hmm. <laughs> really terribly. But uh, mm. she kind of, yeah, I don't know. But tying this back to the previous point, what Eliezer is saying is, in his exact words, bureaucrats are untrustworthy genies, <laughs> for they do not share the values of the wisher. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, he. So we're, we're focusing on the education example from this post, but he also gives the the fun anecdotes of like uh, communist factories or you know, factories in communist Russia producing mm-hmm. like boots and stuff. And it's like, look, we <laughs> made lots, like, lots of lots boots, of tiny boots. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you know, look, you know, because like the bean counters want to count lots of beans, so like they're going to just squint and see that this strap of leather looks, you know, like a bean. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, yeah, this is all great because our output looks awesome and we're not going to get shot or something by, by the government, but it doesn't do anything for all of our barefoot soldiers out there freezing their toes off. And it's yeah. fun to laugh at. May I offer for your consideration the FDA? Yeah, <laughs> I was just yeah. going to say that <laughs> because, I, yeah, like I said, I worked in clinical research and there's just entire jobs that exist, like entry level jobs like I was doing to babysit uh Clinical research associates, CRAs, or monitors who are representatives from the sponsors to say it's, I don't know, Moderna, and they come twice a week, and you have to just drag all of your paper binders like on a cart because there's like hundreds of them sometimes and they're massive. I have photos. Uh, they're really well paid. So maybe it's worth doing it for a few years, but it just seems like you, you, you just get flown all over the world to go sit in like a dimly lit room and go page after page through paper binders my whole job would be giving them the access to the edc dragging all the binders out trying to catch all of the doctors and nurses who did different things <laughs> to like verify that yes in fact this patient's heart rate was this on this date mm. like to I, my memory five years ago <laughs> i used to get paid hundreds of dollars an hour by insurance companies to go sit through construction law depositions and not do anything sounds Damn. super fun yeah, it was pretty boring. But uh, what, what was your job there? Just to show up, have a lawyer in the room. Like, why? Why would they pay you that money? So the way construction law works is, is if a building collapses, there's any defect in the construction, they sue everyone who worked on the building. So okay. there's like, and then then the ghost contractors sue all their subcontractors to be like, no, this was really your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have like fifteen it parties. Wall, it was Jeff the plumber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So you have so you have like fifteen parties in every litigation. So when there's a deposition, every party has a right to to sit in on the deposition and ask questions if they want to. And so the insurance companies who are funding all this litigation, um, most of them will just pay for you to go sit there in the deposition, even if you don't have any questions to like observe. It's the metaphorical tiny boots of America. Are you what, are you looking for? <laughs> I don't know, a shady deals being made or something is that what you're there for no i'm there to observe the deposition so we know what happened and like he's legal presence you know if you know somebody go doesn't ask you know an obvious question that they should ask then i can step in and ask that but 
in reality, okay. that just would never happen. So you do actually have to pay attention. You can't just like sit on your phone yeah. scrolling Discord I, or something. <laughs> I mean, I paid attention so I could because I I would like write up a little report at the end to show that we did something, but it was nothing that couldn't have been done just from the transcript. Okay. <laughs> and I was not a construction lawyer. Like I was just a like I didn't I didn't really? know anything really about construction law. Yeah. Um. So. There was no way I was going to think up better questions than the people who were like the the lead in these depositions. We should probably get through this because it's yeah been a while now. Um, yeah. He yeah. quotes, um, gosh, I don't remember who it was. Oh, um, Misashi, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Saying the primary thing when you take a sword in your hands is your intention to cut the enemy, whatever the means. Why would an individual <laughs> lose track of their purposes in a sword fight? He thinks maybe if someone else had taught them to fight, if they had not generated the entire art from within themselves, they might not under the, understand the reason for parrying at one moment or springing at another. They might not realize when the rules had exceptions, fail to see the times when the usual method won't cut through. And then he draws that forward to compare it to rationality, saying the essential thing in the art of epistemic rationality is to understand how every rule is cutting through to the truth in the same movement. Which I thought was really great, because sometimes we do lose track of why we're doing this thing and just like, oh, well, you are falling prey to this bias or you aren't doing this um, way of thinking correctly. But sometimes if you know that the whole point is to get through to the truth, uh, you do see places where the rules have exceptions or where the usual method isn't working. Kind of bringing it around full circle uh, when we started talking about frame controllers. Um, If you're doing rationality right, you should be looking for weaknesses in your own technique like that. You know, like am I doing this for these reasons that I think I am like these noble, cool reasons, or am I avoiding my own flaws or getting defensive over things that maybe I should actually like, you know, criticism I should be listening to, et cetera. And then like, what's my overarching ultimate goal here. And then how does that relate to my values? Mm-hmm. It's like a little segue. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> All righty. Uh, okay, real quick before we go, uh, he d- Eliezer does say that it seems this lost purposes thing seems to bother him a lot more than a lot of other people and wonders why that is. Um, and, and specifically, he wonders, like, why were his fellow um, kids in the, the uh, religious school just willing to say prayers whose words they didn't understand? Oh, that was, yeah, how the uh, article started. We were just... You know, That's cutting true. out right. a few different sentences, but I actually really liked the beginning of this where Eliezer said, I went to Hebrew school and uh, I was told, here's this prayer and it's in Hebrew and you have to memorize it. And he said, will it work if I don't know what the words mean? And they were like, oh yeah, as long as you say it in Hebrew, it will totally work. And he's like, and that's when I lost my faith. <laughs> I forget if those were the exact words, but I became much more skeptical on this day. And I think, I mean, I assume it's because Eliezer took his religion seriously as a kid. And yeah. he believed as model of the world and that. And man after my own heart. Cause I was the Catholic that leapt repeatedly off a desk praying to God to make me fly yeah. after I was told that God will grant your wishes. As long as you are, you know, following the 10 commandments and don't commit sins. Like well, your you teacher- forgot to ask what kind of genie God is. <laughs> a dick one. Like the, yeah. I love that like my takeaway from that wasn't the the God of the Old Testament or the New Testament uh doesn't exist, but it was like God exists and he's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not gonna care about him anymore. Yeah. But I would still talk to God in my head for a long time. Because this was I don't know, I was like three or four or something, and like I spent a while just being like, Yeah, fuck you, God. You think that you know I should do this thing and 
Yeah, like our, our teachers <laughs> like, claim that these you're are not even helping me with the Our teachers claim that these are real models of the world and we believe them because I guess we're neuroatypical. But I <laughs> as far as I can tell, like more neurotypical people just like know instinctively this is all a social thing. It's a signaling game and the nonsense ritual, like the whole point of it is to be a nonsense ritual to signal your social affiliations. And so like when they say it, it's doing the work that it's supposed to do, which is social signaling. So it doesn't like clash for them. They they never really felt like it was supposed to model the world, right? I don't know. Like is, is, I'm not neurotypical. I mean, so. neither. It just seems like with more, <laughs> with more neurotypical people, it feels like the entire view of the world is just as a social thing. And so I don't know what these normies think. I don't, man. No, no I'm. I don't think that's what that. They don't think that. They just don't think about it. That's that's the answer. Like, <laughs> when they, like, when they I, do the thing, it people are like, "Ah, yes, good." And then when they don't do the thing, people are like, "No, bad." So they do the thing. Well, that's literally just saying viewing the whole world as a social thing. But they're, they're, they're other not, people said yes, bad or no good. Like you, you and I can because it sounds like I'm putting like you know rationalists on a pedestal or you know introspective people and assuming like most people aren't introspective. People compartmentalize their introspection, right? And if they're going to go to church and make the noises and you know eat the bread or whatever. Like, and compartmentalization is really adaptive. Yeah. I think I, this also ties into our main topic that we're probably going to get to at some point, which is like, yeah. that's that's we're just not how people work. More. Like, they don't have these complicated models of, like, what what this is for and why they do it. That's They're just conditioned to do it, so they do it without thinking. That's With, implicitly treating the world like it's just social games. Right, but, like, there's a way to explicitly treat the world like it's social games and, like, be aware that that's what you're doing. <laughs> and and when, in, your, in, in your initial phrasing, you made it sound like that's what they were doing. So, that, they, that they knew they were playing a game rather than they were just walking around, right? Well, I mean, if you want to fit in with them, you do have to know that you're playing the game and play it. If if you're aware that it's a game. Yeah. But most people aren't aware that it's a game. I mean, right? yeah. Like- how, how, yeah, I just find it very frustrating that that's their innate view of reality shrug oh my god (laughs) it is frustrating i don't i I really don't think it's that different you guys i'm sure we all have things that we just don't think about that's sure nope not me i'm i'm I'm, I'm, you know perfect introspective shit until i'm paralyzed with indecision just Uh, existential despair all the time i guess that's the the failure mode it's not very Yeah. (laughs) sometimes you gotta just do the things so anyways he ends by asking is it possible for people to actually keep their eye on the ball to have the correct intentions without letting them go astray and he says can there be such a thing as a sane corporation a sane civilization even which i think is a setup for a famous line from later but those are still cool questions yes i wonder do you think that there are any sane corporations? Yes. Very small ones. I just heard of one that is like a Ticketmaster program, but all of the money goes, all of the profits go to effective charities. Um, How does that make it a sane corporation, though? Because that's a smart way to spend money. And it's, and it's a great business model that doesn't actually require, like, How does it, uh, employees and, like, real infrastructure. Oh, it's, it, like, automated? I mean, yeah, it's it's got to have whatever the base amount. But, you know, like, you pay $7 for the privilege of using Ticketmaster. Uh-huh. Uh, you probably pay seven bucks for the privilege of using. I should remember the thing. Um, <laughs> I should link to it after. I'll find it here in a sec. But you you pay the fee, and instead of the fee just going straight to people's pockets, it goes to whatever server costs and stuff. But then the rest goes to charity. That sounds like a sane use of money. I mean, that's not that's not the question though. By sane, he means um, has not lost their purposes, has their intentions clearly in sight at all times. This sounds like a good example because it sounds like they 
are trying to help people get tickets to things and also give to charities. That's, I mean, I'm it's possible. That's probably their goals and their values. Yeah, if if their intention is funnel money into effective charities, no matter what, then you know, replacing Ticketmaster as the skim off the top person, finding easy, you know, easy rent seeking opportunities like fruit. that, yeah. yeah, and diverting them to charities would. Yeah, it would be effective. I, I mean, I think corporations are much better at keeping their eye on the ball than most other organizations or even most individuals. Not the medical industry. I, I agree well, for the most part because they have some competitive pressures, but there's a lot of things that will insulate you from competitive pressures too. And that's when corporations start to lose sanity again. Sure, that's why I think small ones. Small corporations you know. have to be leaner, tighter, and uh, and care much more about profit than something rolling by on inertia and you know, favorable regulations that they've managed to get. Now, I'm pretty sure GiveWell is a corporation. Yeah, I was thinking about effective charity. I'm also thinking about like Ben and Jerry's though. They're pretty cool, right? I don't know. I mean, they're hippies, so they donate a lot of money to hippie stuff. Yeah, I think they just wanted to make cool ice creams. If our goal, <laughs> yeah, and they, and they fix ice cream. There is no way that was their only goal. You yeah. cannot have a goal of make a cool ice cream and become as big as Ben and Jerry's. All yeah. right, I, if we're if we're planning on ever getting through the to the main subject, <laughs> we can save our corporations in principle sane, or is it possible to have a sane corporation? And we'll I was we'll, ask we'll about save civilizations that. next, but maybe that can be another time. I, th- I think that these are too big a questions to, to <laughs> wrap up. These are very on. large questions. All right, maybe the answer is the next episode. Maybe. Maybe. All right. Uh, for next time, our lesser on posts will be purpose and pragmatism and the affect heuristic. Come back in two weeks for that. But now we are finally moving on to our main subject, which is roasting Wes. Nah. <laughs> okay, good. Because I didn't know. I don't actually know what the main topic is. The, <laughs> the main topic is at one point, Wes was listening to me and Stephen doing Not Everything is a Clue. Uh, which is a great podcast we do where we talk about Alexander Wales's novels, Worth the Candle, a novel series, I guess. Uh, and Wes commented in our Discord, I feel like you and Inyash both have this crazy idea that values are the only thing that make you the people you are, which I just strongly disagree with. I'm skeptical that values are even a good way of conceptualizing how people work. And we wanted to brawl with you about that specifically. All right, but you're going to lose. You didn't tell Wes this beforehand? I assumed you had. I had, no, yeah. You told me I wanted to discuss that. I don't know if that was a larger topic. That is the topic. Like, All right. Especially when you're skeptical that values are even a good way of conceptualizing how people work. How else would you yeah. conceptualize what people care about? Other than values? I mean, value, that's what values means. The things that someone cares about, right? Yeah, but they're, they change every like five seconds. No, not that much. Yeah, they do. Core values. How how long has yeah. it been since your value of I I really love my daughter has changed? I mean, not at all. But see, I wasn't I'm like that thinking that about that a minute ago. <laughs> but just because you weren't thinking about it doesn't mean that it stopped being a value of yours. No, but like I just look. I don't like how rationalists in general talk about values because a lot of the way we we tend to conceptualize it is like people are computers that have like a certain set of you know bedrock goals programmed in and that then we have like all these other instrumental goals that are in service of those and i think that actual people don't work that way like what we want depends on what is going on with our bodies and our brains at the time like if you haven't eaten in a while, you really value food. If you're super full, you don't value it at all. If, um, you know, if you got certain hormones 
getting pumped out, you value one thing. If you got other ones, you value something else. Sometimes the thing you want most more than anything else is just to sleep. Um, sometimes you just want to like get out of whatever situation you're in. Um, and then those are like, but like so much of it is physical of like what's going on in your body at the time. And, to be clear, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I, I just feel like to talk about somebody's, and I, I hear this term a lot, terminal values, um, is to misunderstand like what, how, what actually motivates people. I like, I'm, I'm with you 99% of the way there. And I think that there's probably just some, I don't want to say like, damage but there, there's like some patchwork needing to be done and that's been in progress for a while because like the rationality community started as a branch off you know with a course with with a with partnering with an economist right mm-hmm. so a lot of it was i think there's like this sort of baseline of the homo homo economicus and that that we've been moving away from that model for the last 20 years ish 15 but uh, i think it's been at least 40 well no no but i mean like rational like whatever uh less mm-hmm. starting what 2007 yeah but i mean it started with robin hansen he was never a homo economist kind of person no but the field is no not uh, for okay. many decades now behavioral uh, economics has been a huge thing for a long time okay well i guess maybe then maybe my, my history is probably wrong but it i i feel like there, there like you said a lot of this talk of like oh no you know humans instrumental values talking about people like robots that are like you know um irrational if they won't take the ten dollars you know in a week rather than the five dollars now because ten dollars is twice as much as five dollars like all that stuff's i think that that's the that's the behavioral economic stuff that i think is like that's all bullshit right like you might need five bucks more than you need ten dollars in a week so like that's where it's like the actual person is making a sane judgment i i guess i'm saying is i I agree with all that and then too uh this was a fun example that i i wish i had because I i was thinking about recently Maybe it was that stuff with time looping we're talking about, but uh, when I had the episode of We Want More with Brian, where he's where Harry's taking occlumency lessons, and every time Mister Bester would read his mind, Harry would look at his watch, and like six seconds later, he'd be like, mm-hmm. "Man, I'm, I wish I remember the thing about the gold." Mm-hmm. And Brian was like, I, "I think that's complete bullshit." He would act differently different times, and I pushed back way too hard because he's absolutely right. Yeah. You know, if if Mister Bester, because he's Harry, even says when you paid this much, you got lessons whenever you wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's two in the morning, mm-hmm. he, it's going to take him 10 seconds. If he just got laid, he might not think about this at all, right? If right. he's got blue balls, he might not be thinking about it at all. Right, if he right. just had a good meal, like his priority, his, the starting conditions are different every time. That's that's what made that scene unbelievable for Brian. And he didn't articulate that, I think, as like succinctly as he could have because I would have agreed with him. <laughs> but uh, what was I saying? Values? Yeah. So the, the <laughs> value, value about thing. values. So I, I don't think that like quote unquote values we'll have to maybe define what that means yeah but or to or at least taboo it one way or the other but i don't think it's the, all that make you who you are i just think that this was probably in the context of the show not everything is a clue um probably something to do with soul magic fucking with his values yeah so spoilers ish for at least halfway through that book um but yeah it, it's it's possible in that in that story to um look at somebody's values as a list which i think was suspect but the game has to give you an interface right um but as long as that's true you grab somebody's value you know in this case how much you care about your daughter and put it like way lower than you care about like a microbe you know in uh whatever the saharan desert right and it's like suddenly you're a different person right yeah. because also, right uh, that wouldn't make you a different person. I, I agree in the worth the candle example though didn't they normalize over time Yes, they did. 
and that had to do with the soul and the spirit were two different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was the spirit. Yeah, than you guys, since I've read it, but that was that I find was that kind of interesting. Yeah, that was that was a game thing, but I wanted to disagree with Wes on. I guess yeah, maybe we should say what values are because like you're saying you value food when you're hungry and you don't value it when you're full. And I mean, yeah, sure. In, in terms of what I'm willing to pay money for or expend effort to get at that time, but I don't consider those values. Those are more like drives, like a biological drive. I, you know, what's a value if it's not something that, you know, motivates you, that's something you want. It is. I just think you're making it far too fine grained. It's like saying that um, if what I value is, I don't know. Let's say the an example from um, a recent Less Wrong post was I want chocolate, right? Yeah. And uh, the person opens the car door to get in the car to drive to the store to buy the chocolate. And that's like you saying, I value opening the door. And like, no, no, you don't value opening the door. You maybe value the chocolate, but then you like value in quotes doing all the other steps as intermediate things to get to the store. But you don't have any value for them uh, in, in and of themselves. Chocolate is the terminal value in this, in this <laughs> argument. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I feel like you're making a terminal values argument. Well, yeah, totally. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you, it, well, it's not well, that your values change between when you're hungry and when you're full. It's that your body wants to stay in homeostasis. And sometimes that means eating food. And sometimes that means vomiting up food. But uh, it, it's your... Yeah, but I think the way your body does I, that is mm-hmm. by sending you, is by increasing your food value. All right, we're tabooing values for. Uh, I mean, we we can. I'll let everyone finish their their last kicks on it. But I realize that I think we're going to talk past each other if we keep using values. Yeah, let's cut that and, out. No, no, no. Let's leave it in. No, no, we, no, no. Not cut that episode. I mean, cut <laughs> out. We're not doing it. Yeah, because yeah. because you know, you and I talked about meaning of life last week or the week before, mm-hmm. and we we didn't successfully stop using the word meaning until like the last five minutes. <laughs> and so I want to I want to actually just like. I mean, Nip this I'm in the butt early. The existential meaning of life, and not the Monty Python movie. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually seen the Monty Python movie. Oh shit, it's, yeah, it's okay. A, it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, it exists. All right, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll add it to my values list. Um, so, in that case, how would we define values? That that that's I think going to be one of the confusing, like, or the the, the crux of this, right? Because you know, if like like I really care about. You know, maybe it, that that might not that might be too close to um like a uh, synonym, but I like uh, Wes's take, it's a thing that you really want that motivates you to do whatever actions and behaviors you do. So that's a drive, but like what I really care about is a different kind of thing. That's why it's useful to taboo this, right? Because those are two. Now we're talking two different things, and now we've articulated that difference. Are we right? talking about two different things? So like, I'm I might I really care about um whatever living in a in a in a home that I can keep the power on because I like being warm. Right. Like, yeah. and I, and I really care about like my physical security that way. Right. Um, but if you were in a body that was physically inviolable, inviolable, I don't know the, how to pronounce that. And also never got cold. You wouldn't value a house nearly as much. That's true. And I, well, and I, and I, but, but to, in service of that goal, since I don't have a cool, since I've got this stupid meat suit, mm. you know, like I care about Damn keeping my suits. job. I care about uh, looking like looking good at my job to my people, you know, to the people at my job who are in charge of keeping me on payroll. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not even like I care more about looking useful than I actually care about being useful mm-hmm. because I like getting paid. Right. Um, I would, that might be, that might be, a, that might be a lost purpose kind of thing, but I also like being good at my job because that's one well, way to I look think, good. At I think people. what you're describing is that your desires are contextual. Um, yes, but they're they're like in service to like things that I really care about. Whereas like some things I don't like. But like, what you know, do you really care about? What's the thing there that you really care about? Being alive and healthy. 
and that for people I care about and, and for the people, well, and for everybody, cause I'm a perfect altruist, <laughs> but especially for the people that I like. <laughs> but is that what you're thinking about when you eat a sandwich or you go to work? You're like, ah, oh, boy, this will really help me stay alive and healthy. Well, no, you don't think about it every single second you're doing something, but you already have certain heuristics and habits that you have instilled because you found these were ways to uh, get to those alive and healthy goals. Yeah, and I think those heuristics and habits are much more fundamental to who a person is. When I think about, like, who is this person? Like, how would I describe them? How do I conceptualize them? It's not about their, uh, I'll call them the things that they really care about or the things that they want very badly it's much more about the habits they have the heuristics that they use the the patterns of behavior that they that they do or the the ways of thinking uh so, that they've sort of like worn into their brain oh that is fucking that is an insight that i hadn't ever considered before like that maybe the wonderful altruistic scientist wants a you know post-scarcity utopia future and so does the uh mean angry nazi person that beats up minorities but the differences in the way they act in their day-to-day life to get there is what makes the difference between the two people yeah i mean hitler wanted a better world yeah <laughs> you know values he just was, didn't they care probably all had the same terminal hurt. values if you want to call it that but uh i, mean, I, don't, I don't, don't think know. that's what makes a person who they are uh i was going to say before we got on this which this is interesting but uh I kind of think of values as a tree graph where you have nodes at the highest level that are things like the basics, kind of like what you're asking, Stephen, you know, I want to stay alive. Um, And then they branch as you go downwards. And so the difference between the Nazi and the effective altruist would be at the very top level is I want to create a great society. But then as it branches, it like tells you more about what that means from the context and experiences and then what you were just getting on is interesting. Uh, I kind of wanted to sum that up as like revealed preferences, sort of, where there's all like sort of another layer there where you can say that your values, you know, that, that people, I guess, have fake values or. Well, I think, isn't that more indicative of how people, I hate to use the term values again, but like um, <laughs> it, the, oh, yeah. the Are you- person doesn't value the well-being and comfort of others, whereas the kind, uh, more altruistic person values being seen as kind and values other people around him not being in pain. And therefore, if you were to swap those values in them, then they would start acting, you know, like the opposite, right? But you'd need the whole chain. Uh, I mean, obviously, you can't just magically do it. They have different definitions of what a great society is. Like the one person's empathetic and the other is like... No, no, even values order. Well, and and the Nazi might think that, okay, by doing this the mean way, we can get to the perfect future 50 years faster. So it's worth it to do the mean way, right? I still think they might actually care more, though, of what the ultimate outcome looks like. I think even if they have the exact same definition of what the ultimate great outcome looks like, having the the valuing of, you know, other people's comfort or something in there could make a big difference. Yeah, that's why I think it, it would be a different definition. If they had the exact same definition, then there wouldn't be any crux. I guess I guess all I'm saying is that what what um, Wes was saying as, you know, their everyday small little interactions thing is how you judge a person is I would agree with that. But I think that is a reflection of their values. Uh, in- yeah, that's why I was saying revealed preference. Like two people can say, I want a great society and that's what I'm aiming towards. But you can watch the one person give to effective charities and like be nice to homeless people. And I don't know. 
and then the other person beat up minorities like you mentioned and it's like okay so that that means different things to you too <laughs> i'm pretty skeptical of the idea of revealed preferences um uh, so i well so it's i just don't think it's a useful way to i don't think it, it it necessarily pays rent in in terms of anticipated experience as well as a different conception does so when people say you know revealed preferences are saying okay well like you you say this is what is important to you and this is what matters and this is like why you do what you do but then i look at your actions and it doesn't match up to me yeah and i so by that i will conclude that that's not really what you care about and when i look at that i i don't necessarily say that's not what you care about it's it can just Mm. as easily be like there's some reason why you haven't connected the thing that you care about to the specific action you need that you could take that would be in service of that. Um, And maybe if I can show you, you know, how a different, a different choice that you made would, would uh, get you the thing you care about. Maybe you'll change your behavior. So maybe that was your preference and you just didn't realize it. Or maybe you just, you know, you have bad habits and you have trouble breaking out of them. That doesn't mean you don't care. It just means it's hard for you. Yeah. Um, Things like executive dysfunction are part of who you are too. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's a lot of, you know, even like, like, like there's this concept of willpower that like, if you, if you had enough willpower, you would do it. And I feel like that's, that's also kind of always talked about in um, ways that don't necessarily reflect reality, Mm, but it's like, you know, people's brains work a certain way. Our bodies work a certain way. And like, sometimes they just do things that don't necessarily that we don't endorse um that we if you know if our our system two would say not to do but you just can't help it i have this fear that has been alleviated because i've been in emergency situations but like it's still in the back of my mind like i want to believe that i'm the kind of person that would like you know push a little kid out of the way and sacrifice myself if they're like about to get hit by a bus Mm -hmm. or you know that i would do like cool heroic things and I think this is really common with a lot of people where there's this fear that in the heat of the moment, you'll do something cowardly and then feel yeah. like, and I, and I think someone who liked to talk a lot about revealed preferences would say, aha, well, now I see that you think you're more important than a little child. If you know, you failed to do that. And I, I, where I would say is, oh, that was like, or you're just naive to emergency situations. Yeah. Like you just um, panicked, you panicked, you're, you're, you know, thought process didn't work fast enough. Your reflexes aren't fast enough, maybe. Or you just, you weren't prepared for this situation. It didn't know what to do. I, I have, uh, go ahead, Inyash. Well, I can, um, I can concede that there are many factors why someone might do something, including just, you know, breakdowns of executive function or whatever. But I think that there is still underlying both values and in general characteristics or character traits or something of people where you can... Um, Personality traits are pretty well studied and they seem to be uh, quite stable over time. You know, like the big five. Yeah. So there, I don't think you can just say there's no such thing as uh, things that motivate people and that people value and characteristics that they have just because in some situations they may fail. Uh, I didn't say there's no such thing. I just said those don't really explain all that much about a person. I think we're, yeah, sort like, of like angrily like the thing I objected to, <laughs> Like the thing I objected to originally was, I think you guys were saying like, 
your values are the thing that that describes you what what you, who you are like mm-hmm. what kind of person you are and i just mm-hmm. think that's nuts like do you think a person that cared an equal amount about all the things you care about would do podcasts if they cared like, about doing podcasts as much as we do i guess but but, do you guys, but clear, i don't it, that doesn't sound like something i would have said though that your values uh no i what, think you mean i said that I accidentally ended up on this podcast because I just liked <laughs> hanging out with Inuyash and Stephen. It's the easiest way to do it. But yeah, it, well, and I liked having conversations with with you guys, and that's and doing it in front of a microphone was the only way to make sure that happened with any regularity. But um, the <laughs> there's like, something wrong with me. No, no, it's good. But <laughs> I think Inuyash uh, does podcasts because he enjoys podcasts, and he's good yeah. at being on podcasts. It's got a Agreed. you know a propensity for it. He's got a talent for it, and none of those. Are, I, and I can say all of that without referencing anything that he cares about. <laughs> the gasp was just because I saw a dog. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I think, you know, if, if I was talking about it in the context of worth the candle, it would be like, you know, if if we could see your, your you know, values. Your character sheet. Your, your character sheet, yours in particular. And yeah. I wanted to, to use and abuse the example of like your care for your daughter as well. Cause I think it's just the perfect mm-hmm. like way to demonstrate the point. Like you, you, you care a lot about her. She's probably makes the top five, maybe top 10 most days, right? Like ho- yeah. I'm, I'm being flippant, but <laughs> yeah, so totally. like most if, days. if, if some evil elf were to soul rape you and put uh throwing her into a volcano as your, as like the thing you cared more about than everything else you've ever cared about in your life put together, you wouldn't be you anymore. That, that was the yeah. case. I was, I don't think you agree with that. I don't think you disagree with that. Yeah, I don't think that I, like someone with our exact same values would do, do the exact same thing. There's a lot of personality and circumstance and stuff. Yeah, but I think if you were to take how much I enjoy podcasting, I guess, and turn it way down and maybe alter some other thing about me, that would drastically change who I am to the point where you could say, you know, I'm a different person now. Sure, but then you're just talking about like different degrees. I should, I'm just I, saying I there's a lot more that goes into it than just what you value. Can I try um, to make a... Oh, keep going. Oh, well, I was, I, I, I was, it was interesting that you brought up the uh, worth the candle example, because I think the fact that character sheets work that way is a big clue that this is actually just a simulation, because real people don't work that way. I think that's... I, I agree. Um, I, I, but I, I wanted to give you a chance to answer, or I guess to put it this way. So if, if, we, if we did switch yours to where like you really cared about throwing your daughter into a volcano, yeah. would that be you with a hugely different goal in life or would that be a completely different person no, as far as you're concerned i mean i still have continuity of consciousness right i suppose i still, but... I still feel like me still remember being this person right okay that, that's a fun answer i didn't think you'd give that one yeah, i mean of course I, that's but, me. but i see where you're coming from i mean that's a different I, definition of I, yourself, I would yeah i would feel I would, I, I would feel like you know and I, even though this isn't the case it would it would feel to me like i had been killed and replaced by somebody with my memories but wanted different things yeah but that happens right? every 10 minutes well, not so dramatically. No. Not so dramatically. Minutes, but it happens pretty dramatically over the course of, you know, 20 years or so. Every seven well, months, don't it, we shed all of our cells? Or, I think it's seven years. Or seven years. But I yeah. know that there was a seven in there. And it we just, we're just the ship of Theseusing yeah. around some the cells, world. Some cells are renewed much faster we're, than others. Uh, but, I mean... Star I, Trek see, teleporting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jace, but, did you but, have something you wanted to say? Um... I'll, I want to let Inash finish his thought, and then I have a, a silly proposition. Okay. Well, to take your example where you said that values change slowly over time, uh, I agree very strongly. And I think, I mean, from the outside, uh, since I'm it, people assign personhood based on bodies, and therefore I am, if to everyone else, the same person I was, you know, when I was born. 
But in my personal opinion, the Eniash that was around when I was seven years old has been entirely killed and replaced by someone new. And I don't consider them the same person at all. And but a see, lot of that was... You don't act like the seven-year-old you was killed. Well, what, like, what am you're I going to do? Warn seven-year-old me? Yeah, I, that's I what you would do if they that. were killed. Like, I you're look, sitting I, here talking about it. And like, I don't hear any any grief at all in your voice. You, I, I'm glad you don't hear any grief. Uh, there very rarely is grief because after 30 years, you move the fuck on at some point. But, mm-hmm. you know, every now and then I do think about that. And I'm, I wish you could crystallize moments in time and not lose those people because that was a valuable person, too, I thought. Right. But you don't think that's as tragic as an actual seven-year-old getting killed, do you? Or do you think that? No, I think it's less tragic because there is no trauma to all the people around that seven-year-old. When everyone else is slowly changing as well, there's no grief for the lost seven-year-old. It's but only sh- in retrospect. But shouldn't there be? Um, no, I don't know. I love how heavy this conversation is. Sorry, I can't just, I just can't comment. The dog is chewing in the background and it's really funny. So if you're yeah. chuckling, it's not because we think <laughs> the idea of seven-year-olds like dying doing, is funny. It's because... <laughs> yeah, there's a dog doing adorable things in the background and we're trying to keep straight faces. I mean, sometimes oh. there's things like if people, um, if people have a drastic change in personality because they start doing drugs or something or some, you know, whatever, there's other people will mourn that. Yeah, they will, they will have grief. Even... Not just changes in personality because of drugs. Sometimes people have a revelation and they convert to a new religion or they drop out of a religion or they change political affiliations or something. And their former friends and loved ones may indeed say, you know, I, I miss You're who like you used to be. Person. You're a different yeah. person. Yeah. And there's, there's a level of grief there. So I do think that can happen. Sure. I but I don't, that... I don't think it's viewed. I don't think anyone really views it as the same thing as somebody dying. Um, it's I a matter that, of degree. Yeah. There's sort of endorse changes versus not say someone gets a traumatic head injury and suddenly like they have 60 IQ and they're just, there's so little of the person that you knew left Yeah, that that's terrible. Um, yeah. But like if, you know, I think that, you know, I, I happily murder myself every seven years to become a stronger version of that person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, I also have kept journals since I was, 11 you guys are murdering me right now by making me think different things (laughs) i can die wes i'm doing it i'm doing it just very slowly i can go back and empathize with the person that i was at different periods in my life because i've journaled so much of it this is also why i don't think the star trek transporter is a suicide box because you have the exact same values and thoughts and emotions when you come out the other side even if you know it's a completely different body and different atoms so it's the same person uh, yeah, I think I wanted to make a sort of, I don't know, like jokey fake model, but I want to say that like, just for the sake of argument, I think that what makes someone who they are is a combination of their biological body and impulses, their values, their experiences, um, and their personality, which like I'm talking about specifically like canoe big five, then maybe also like the dark triad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder if we have anything else to say on this particularly, or if not, if this kind of might transition a bit into what I wanted to ask you about was uh, wireheading, but that yeah. might be a subject, a larger subject for another time oh, if you God. want. But I, I feel like it might be succinct. I don't well, know. I think that's important. I mean, my argument for it's pretty succinct. The destruction of everything you value. Th- that, but, that's what yeah. I was thinking, right? Well, let's, so, it, so before we get on that, though, yes. I want to just, does anyone actually disagree that there's a lot more that goes into who a person is than their values? 
no, that's why I thought this was fun, like set up because I'm like, prepare uh-huh. to be surprised. We agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Angrily in agreement. Well, I, I specifically think, want to hear from Aniash because he was the one who I, said that. Yeah, no, I do think there's a lot more than just values. But you said that when you say I'm skeptical that values are a good way of conceptualizing how people work. I, I actually think values are a good way of conceptualizing how people work. And maybe that's the, I don't know, the deontological Christian upbringing in me. But I think maybe. you can... You can, have something to you can model people to quite a great degree based on their values with maybe some terms thrown in there for how how dysfunctional their brain and or body is. See, uh, I think I feel like if you told me what a person um, like what they want most, what they care the most about, um, I would have vi- I, I would not be able at all to predict their behavior. What? Just one thing? No, like, give me a list. Give me, like, give me, like, their character sheet that has all their yeah, values like, and their levels. <laughs> I would never be able to tell you what they do because it's all super context dependent and, like, just way more dependent on their habits and their ways of thinking and, like, how they generally accomplish goals and and what – just, like, how they operate. This yeah. is so much more relevant to, like, being able to predict their behavior than what they care about. I, I got to – I can push back on this, I think. I think I, I couldn't tell you what they would do – you know, at 4.30 p.m. today or something, right? Mm -hmm. But I could probably give you a not that inaccurate view of their week if I if I understood their values really well. Like if they if, for example, you know, physical fitness, community, you know, community, whatever, like my family, uh, person, you know, like woodworking, if if like if I saw the top 10 and those things are on there, like, okay, they go to the gym, they take they take care of the house, they they, you know, they own woodworking equipment that they probably work with you know semi-frequently and i think importantly you might be able to have a model of given if this person was put in this context what do you think they would do you might have a pretty good guess yeah like yeah but it's i don't think that's true at all that's so fun i like it that is fun i think i think you have to know like what their heuristics are and what their patterns of behavior are to really know what they do because so like, I think I have, you can value exactly the same uh, things as someone else and you'll behave I think radically I agree, but, but it's because of my whole concept of revealed preferences. <laughs> right. No, I, I think you're right. <laughs> because like, if you think that the world is flat, even if you have the exact same values of someone else, you might be doing things radically different than someone who doesn't yeah. think that. But, you know, that's sure. I guess having accurate knowledge is very important, too. But like I had a coworker at my last job who talked often about how he enjoyed fitness and he had a body like Captain America, but even if I had never seen him, right, uh, mm-hmm. I I could I could guess because I never observed him at the gym. We've never I we I was never we worked in different states, um, but I bet he went to the gym every you know if not every day at five times a week, right? Sure, but I don't know anything about his values. But I do know since you described some of his behavior, I can tell you he didn't do CrossFit. Because <laughs> he would have told you if he did CrossFit. But I, I, I can tell you one thing about his values. He valued going to, going to the gym, or he valued looking physically fit, or something, yeah. right? He probably. I mean, but, I would guess he valued looking good. Yeah, looking good, feeling good. All right, that's fun. So, I does does this tie in at all to wireheading, or is this a completely different subject? I feel like they're they're tightly coupled, but uh, I feel like we we give you a bit like. Uh, nudge nudge wink wink hard time once in a while on you're like our our go-to uh wirehead guy you're the only person who's pro wireheading that i know i mean i think this is a different disagreement but it's related i I think it's very strongly related because wireheading is basically the killing of all your values right well let's 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 let 
Wes set the ground for the, the framework for this okay. if, if we're going to engage on it. Wes, what is wireheading? Uh, I don't know what it is, but the one I'm in favor of is basically you're hooked up. Maybe it's just your brain. Maybe it's I don't know how you do it, but somehow you're just given like the best possible brain state um, that that is achievable. Um, so you just feel great all the time. Um, and then there's some kind of AI or something that keeps you alive for as long as possible in this state. So you'd be a centaur. <laughs> well, you're not, you're not merging with the AI. The AI is just kind of taking care of you. It's just riding you. It's not riding you. It's, it's feeding you basically. <laughs> I'm just being, you're, you're like in a pod in the matrix. Yeah. Or Except yeah. you don't get the, you don't even get the rich social dynamics of interacting with other humans in the matrix. No, the AI, the, AI, the AI I mean, is just a pod. I mean, you like do this. if that's necessary to achieve the best possible brain state, but I don't think it is. It could be the uh, friendship is optimal world, I guess. I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we're assuming it's not right now because that's West doesn't think that's um, needed. And in the classical wireheading, that was never posited either. It was just like you hook up a wire to your head and it makes you feel... Pumps like Orgasmatron. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is that is the best possible brain state for you. And yeah, I mean, real life wireheading is in in with current technology is terrible. It sounds like absolute hell. Yeah, it's but like heroin, if, right? if you could get that real no, life, wire- heroin sounds way better. <laughs> if you could get that real life wireheading tomorrow, and it meant that Roxy would not have a father, you would jump at the chance. Well, I'd want her to get it too. Eh, oh, that's that's not an option. Well, then I probably won't do it. Oh, so so no. wireheading isn't that great after all. No, it is. I'm like, just did someone say revealed preference. <laughs> I, yeah, right. Exactly. No, because I'm weak. <laughs> You're not choosing the best thing because you you want to choose less good things. Yeah, I think I think that's that's perfectly consistent. Like, yeah, but I think if somebody that wireheaded me against my will, they would be doing me a favor. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. See, I would hate to be modified without my consent. Wait, wait, yeah, wait. But you, so but if, you are all the time. Hold They're on. all if doing you... it to you right now. But it's let, let's get back to that in just okay, a second. Yeah. Wait, that that thing really surprised me because you said you would not choose to be wireheaded if it would right. mean Roxy would be without a father. Right. But you're saying if tomorrow wireheading was available just for you for some reason, and somebody ambushed you and forced you to be wireheaded, jumped out of a bush, yeah, uh, <laughs> against your will, and Roxy would be left without a father, that guy's doing you a favor. Well, I'd definitely thank him afterward, wouldn't I? Well, yes, of course you would. So, so well, this yeah. might be analogous to Jace's so example the problem? of like wanting to be a, a hero in a, in a crisis uh-huh. and it's like oh, i'm paralyzed by fear i wish i wasn't but the problem if, if is somebody, that your daughter if somebody, doesn't if have somebody could have pushed jace to be like no actually go do the hero thing and you're like all right now i'm fucking doing it i'm glad you pushed me thank you i really wanted this even though i didn't have the courage is that kind of analogous to what you're you're saying here um it's it's more that i'm working on corrupted hardware that intellectually i know that's the right choice i just wouldn't i just wouldn't be able to pull the trigger huh it seems like you're just more self-aware than us in some ways, <laughs> potentially, like I, yeah, I, that's probably what it is. I, I, <laughs> I was talking about sort of like revealed preferences, but like also there's aspirational values. I, I am unwilling to say that the fact that I can be hacked and destroyed means that it's a good thing that I was. I, I mean, it's like not that. always a good thing. It's only a good thing if you end up better off. Yeah, well, that therein lies but the subjective value. Better, yeah. yeah, I I don't think. I would be better off if I was forced to be wireheaded, even if, you know, the future me did thank them for it. I think I would be an impoverished existence and very, very close to being dead, basically. Yeah, but that's because you have crazy ideas like that the real world matters. (laughs) More like that other people matter and they're in the real world. 
other sentient beings. Yeah. Them that, too. that is actually my crux though. I have, I, and I, I, I admit that it's hard to defend in every circumstance and I, and I wouldn't like, I, I wouldn't let the universe die on this hill, but like, I do have a sentimental attachment to reality. And so like, and, don't worry, and, we can wirehead that out of you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure, I'm sure if I was lobotomized properly, that this would, this would be less important to me, but uh, yeah, like the, this is like a Robert Nozick's experience machine. Um, it's worse. At least you experience things in the experience machine. <laughs> it, it sounds like it, right? Like you have a good life machine. in there, right? That, that's the idea. N- not just like you're, you're, you're blissed out. No, I yeah. think, I think most likely to achieve the optimal brain state, you would just end up blissed out. I think that's, right, no. uh, I think that's as good as you could possibly feel. Uh, I don't think <laughs> I so. Know. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it turns out that's not, if that's not the, the, uh, the uh, the best you could feel then i mean the the, the i then do something else it's really but, hard not to just think that wes is being intentionally contrarian here just to troll us but i know he's wes not because he's fucking wes yeah what? why is, so is this hard. why is this hard to believe that like just feeling good all the time would be awesome i don't value feeling good as much as i value feeling competent for example I don't value feeling good as much as I value solving a problem. Yeah, interacting. But you with could other... feel those too. They could just they could just hit the button in your brain that makes you feel that stuff. <laughs> exactly, uh, which makes it useless, worthless. Of the, there's um, Rick and Morty, uh, season three, episode six, rest and relaxation. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Stupid pun names. Uh, I mean, I love them. Sorry. Anyway. I remember. I remember this episode. Yeah, yeah. There's like they go to this alien spa that takes all of the toxins out of them, but oh, it actually yeah. do, takes the personality traits that they think are suboptimal. Mm-hmm. And it includes for like example, well, I mean, I think it's really funny that the, like they take away, I think Morty's anxiety, guilt, and shame. So he just becomes like the wolf of wall street, like, yeah. like <laughs> fucking monster. And then like Rick becomes from the outside, really healthy, but he realizes one of the things that took away was his irrational attachments to his grandchildren. Yeah. That's kind of why I feel like, someone's whole personality is who they are. And I think that it is a a death of a kind. Like I was talking about endorsed versus unendorsed uh, changing. Mm -hmm. I like to think that, you know, like what I was saying, like I, I happily have killed my past selves because I think that I'm a better version of my past selves and I can go back and read my journals and remember, you know, what things I was struggling with and. And I like what you said about personality because a wireheading basically gives you a personality ectomy. Yeah. There is no personality there anymore. There's no human yeah. there anymore. Personality and sort of values too. All you value is more orgasmatron. Whereas like, yeah, I, you know, the things that motivate me that I enjoy consistently are learning, uh, solving problems. And that's because you haven't tried this bliss drug yet. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, no, I, I, I think this is actually like really, really relevant to the, the, earlier discussion. Cause I feel like you guys only care about that stuff because of the context that we live in. Because all that stuff mm-hmm. is useful in this context. And like you would live in impoverished assist- existence and not be able to accomplish your goals and have a pretty shitty life if you couldn't do all that stuff. But if Harold. we lived in a different world that, where you didn't need to do any of that, then uh, there wouldn't like why? Why would it matter? I think that interacting with other people and playing complex, infinite games is actually very, very much more valuable and enjoyable in its own right than just being blissed out. I've tried hedonism and I hate it. But you haven't, right. you haven't tried. But if you, you hate it, hedonism. Like the whole point is you wouldn't hate it. It would, whatever thing you like, <laughs> that's what it would do. <laughs> I might as well just die. Yeah. What, what's the point? I mean, that's actually a good point. There what isn't one. 
there's no point to anything. Guys, wake up. But you make your own meaning, and I like being able to do that. I, I actually agree with Wes on that last one. We just had an episode. <laughs> it's going to be a special episode for subscribers of Not Everything is a Clue, where I basically argue that nothing has any meaning, and there's no point to anything. But also, you know, this would be even worse than the wireheading. <laughs> nothing I, I matters wanna... except this. <laughs> I, I want to touch on something that's only tangentially related because I was thinking about it this week was uh, you said that you happily murder your past self every once in a while to level up. And I, I like that phrasing. And I years ago, I was on a podcast about, uh, it, I don't know, spoilers for Endgame. I hate having to caveat, but um, you get so, those people in the discord. You watched it. Fair enough, though, today. that movie had just come out. So I, I do apologize to that person that we gave that that thing about Spider-Man to. But passing on <laughs> passing past that um, in Endgame. Uh, Nebula has to shoot Nebula of uh, what it would have been nine years ago or something mm-hmm. in universe. Uh, it, that one came from 2014. Then there was the five year after the snap, which would have been Current 2019, okay. 2022. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. some some years ago. And the one of the co-hosts of the show that I was on was like, you know, that was such a profound moment. And I'm like, that person sucked. Yeah, and he, she had to, she had to kill her because she was gonna you know ruin everything, mm-hmm. and it's like she had added the values of caring about you know having empathy and caring yeah. about specific people and yeah. the like world and like it, it didn't even strike me as like a particularly profound metaphor because it was so heavy handed. It's like yeah, that this was a bummer, but like that was this that wasn't the part of the scene that was like impactful. But I I remember I I think I came off flippantly dismissive of it, and I just like it occurred to me randomly. I hadn't even, I haven't seen the end of these movies recently, but. I was like, okay, that's how I should have articulated it. And now, years later, I get to correct the record for nobody because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been a long time, but that's all right. I just wanted to push back against, I don't know, like, I'm joking about killing my past self. And you had kind of brought up, like, do you think that, like, you know, you should kill this seven year old or whatever? And it's just like, no, I, I would never kill a seven year old to, like, replace them with a better version. But, like, there's the concept of growth, I, there's the continuity. Yeah. So th- I, I object to the phrasing, not. Not only of murdering your past self, but if I'm going to assume that, um, I object to it as you murdering your past self. Because it's not you doing it. It's your environment. It's everyone else who's doing it to you. Yeah. There, yeah, you're, you're changing in reaction to stimulus. You didn't choose any of this. Eh, I, I'm an Adlerian. I think you, change, you can uh, choose much more than people think. I don't know what an Adlerian is. Is it a person who believes in free will? Yeah, to some extent. Oh, well, uh, that's... Adler- Adler was a psychologist that lived at the same time as Freud and had opposite or very contrary like opinions to, you know, Freud saying that you're basically just the sum of everything that happened to you in your childhood and also lots of weird sex things and metaphor, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously genetics, right? You have control over your, you know, like you do your tasks, other people do theirs. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> like, laughing at the, like the Adlerian or, or, you know, um, the what Dan Dennett would call elbow room version of free will that you were describing. I was laughing at Wes just saying, well, though, that's silly. Listening to the mind killer podcast available every on alternate weeks that this episode that this show comes out. Yeah. I was recently trying to decide some things about like where I'm going to move and what job I'm going to do. And like, because I'm such a goddamn nerd, I was on a long drive and I was like, all right. So first of all, we have to figure out whether or not we have free will. And I spent like 10 minutes <laughs> like just ruminating on that before i was like no i i think i choose to believe i do so i can just move past this and get to the actual 
Oh, see, I just moved past it regardless. I think Wes has a point that a lot of what, you know, shapes us is our environment and we have very little control over, but we don't have no control over it. Of course we have no control over it. It's all physics. It's all just atoms interacting. We live in a deterministic universe. And even if we don't, it's indeterminate at the quantum level. We don't have any influence over that either. I think that in people, I mean, if if we're going to just like succinctly summarize our views on free will, like, uh, there's there's a an important and you're you're not denying that just like the distinction between like being coerced or or forced to do something and like getting to quote unquote choose it right. it's like right. you know getting you you get to do what you want right um right. you don't it's just, you don't you don't necessarily get to pick all of your wants but sometimes you're like exposed to something that changes your mind and then you're like oh, okay now I'm this now or years later you know it creeps up on you and completely changes who you are and you didn't get to really choose that right um like transitioning yeah, but <laughs> you, you know, like it, it could just be. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I don't. I don't know of a quick example I could give, but uh, you can use mine. I, I guess I just don't like that. The re- yeah, well, it's fine because for yours has like the. I guess the de- the decision at the end of it, like if you want to physically transition, you have to like actually put it in work, right? Rather than like, and I was thinking more of like something that happened to you from the outside, like. Uh, like I was driving, listening to a podcast. I don't know how I found the Rationally Speaking podcast, and Julia Galef mentioned uh, HPMOR, and then ten years later, uh, you know, here I am on a podcast that's the name stems from a joke from that book, and uh, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't like been at a stoplight and squiggled down HPMOR on my phone or something, right? Like I didn't get to choose any of the factors that le- led up to that stuff, but uh, you did assign a lot more meaning to that. I mean, I'd have sort of basically the same story with different details, but I think it was mentioned on Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And I also just looked up and then Marathon read it. Uh, there were tons of other fanfic I was reading at the time, though, and published fiction. And I decided to assign a lot more like meaning, value, interest to that one. I, I don't think we really need to get into the free will debate <laughs> here because that is an entire podcast. Yeah. I just wanted to give my succinct thing on it because I, I laughed at a moment where I felt like I should at least clarify. So. I mean, I think it, Wes yeah, is, will is hilarious. Wes's point is trivially true that physics is what physics is and is totally deterministic, but also I believe that we have a choice in the way that matters and we can unpack that some other day if we really want to. I, don't well, know, I, think, it's, I think it's very related to the wireheading thing. Because like, I don't think there's any difference or any any meaningful difference between a you know somebody else wireheading you and your environment shaping you into the person who will wirehead themselves. So I think at that once you're at that stage of things, like how it happens is not the important part. So you don't think there's a meaningful difference between choosing to give $40 to uh, a homeless person and being mugged and someone taking your $40? No, there is, because that's a very different outcome. Well, I thought you just said that the how you get there doesn't matter as long as you end up wireheaded either way. Well, right, but I'm not getting robbed into being wireheaded. <laughs> like your the- earlier example was literally someone jumping you and wireheading you against your will. Yeah, but then... What the point of that is that once you're wireheaded, it's it's going to be the same no matter how you got there. If you're I mean, mugged f- versus you decided to donate something, your experience after that is going to be different. Like well, you could have then, trauma, 
you you could you could um get PTSD um or but you'll have feelings about it like your brain state will be different these I are different stimuli is, that will affect you differently I if you're wireheaded it's all going to be the same I think that's why wireheading is a perfect analogy for being dead yeah, because I was just, just going like, to say yeah. can you can you come up with ways that you know could you just sub out the word dead for wireheading in the whole argument you just made and make a distinction well de- being dead doesn't feel good doesn't feel like anything it doesn't matter yeah that's why wireheading is better than being dead are you trying to just add utilons to the universe because we talked <laughs> we had a whole episode about how that's done no i don't care about utilons i also don't believe in morality so i'm not saying we should wirehead everybody i'm saying if you wireheaded me it would be doing me a favor i mean uh, you should I, want I, to be wireheaded I can't argue with your values. Do you think that your money right now is being Thank used? Thank you. Someone had most... to laugh at that. <laughs> Do you think your money is being used right now in the most optimal way? Of course not. Do, so you think it would be a better world if someone were to kill you, take all your money, and use it in the most optimal way? No, because no, then he wouldn't be happy. I, I do get his point. I think yeah. it's easy. I disagree with it because I'm a weird sentimentalist who likes who likes meat space. His My outcome... money being used in the optimal way would be in the way that makes me happiest. <laughs> That's the optimal way to use my money. And I like to think that I care about things outside myself, but I'm, I know that you do, and it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and here's, you know, you've got a child. <laughs> oh, but you, but you, you, you like your child being happy insofar as it makes you it, happy. Well, this yeah. usually like revealed preferences the other way around. You care about shit. Yeah, I pretend I you don't. I do. Yeah, no, exactly. I, no, I do care about you. I don't care anything about myself, what? even though I take care of this daughter and make sure she has a happy, wonderful life. And no, clear, I, I do. But if I, I was wireheaded, that, I wouldn't. And I was saying that with a joking smile. I know that, like, you know, because you're in this suboptimal, squishy, weird meat suit, you actually do love your daughter, and that's actually an awesome thing. So, yeah. yeah. I, I just think it's great that it's suboptimal that you care about your daughter and you wish someone <laughs> would mug you and wirehead you toxification yeah fix it so that you don't care about your daughter anymore and yet you don't do that to yourself even though in theory you could just stop caring about her but that would solve anything it would it would solve the problem you have where you care about someone other than you but that's not a problem the problem (laughs) is i'm not happy all the time it's not because i care about other things it's because i don't have the technology to make myself happy all the time heroin that that, but that wears off then you gotta get then you gotta get money to buy more you probably have enough money that you could stay on heroin until you died. I mean, yeah, give, give, give a man enough heroin, he lives. He's on. He's high for the rest of his life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. it. I mean that in a, in a in a grim joke way of like they'll overdose, right? Like, I mean, like what's this, the difference between being wireheaded for twenty years and dying, and being wireheaded for twenty five years and dying? Five years of feeling great. Utilons. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I, it literally just sounds like it's make the number of utilons go up. I mean, do you think there's a difference between being tortured for twenty years and being tortured for twenty five years? <laughs> the, to you five years of feeling terrible <laughs> uh to go back on this um or to go back on i guess my objections i realized that i was thinking about the friendship is optimal universe earlier and i just talked about you know the last man on earth and how tragic it was that he was the last person to be like you know to, to reject the utopia and died and then it's like yeah, am don't i that, be that guy because my instinct <laughs> to you describing wireheading is I would rather shoot myself than be subjected to that. Because it's the same I thing. agree. That's a good instinct. But That's a terrible instinct. That guy, though, yeah, you're, you're that guy now. Well, I guess like the thing is that he was being you know threatened with either death in a dead world or come to this fake paradise where I would rather have continued existence than not. So 
I think there's some things that are worse thought, than but... death, and being wireheaded may be one of them. I think there I'm are definitely things that, that are worse than death. Yep. But depends on the definition of wireheading, though, because I actually like struggle with whether or not, like I said, the universe of friendship is optimal is a utopia or dystopia. I mean, like, aside from the needing everyone to value ponies and shoving that value high up in everybody. I mean, like, so, friendship is something we already value as humans. So, if like, you ignored the dystopic aspect yeah. of the dystopia. <laughs> <laughs> but what if it was to satisfy people's values and then it doesn't have to be through friendship and ponies? Like, like we already try to do that. But that's a good thing. But we're not a genie. But if we had a god force yeah. that into us, right? Force yeah. what into us? Maximizing our values. Yeah, like Sub friendship and maximize ponies. Maximize everyone's values in the most like sustainable, healthy way possible. And you can define those terms in legalese forever. But uh, I, I think that's literally what we're trying to do as a species. I think so. Yeah. Is that's that's what you think we're trying to do? Yeah. Some of us. Cool. I think some people are just trying to get through their day. <laughs> I think so, some people Winking have much. a job where it's like, that's that's essentially their job, right? Like people working at Miri. I mean, what but, what do you think as a species we're trying to do, Wes? Not die. <laughs> uh, uh, nothing. I don't think we have a species goal. I think they we're so, we we've been selectively bred to propagate our genes, but that's not. Right. I wouldn't say that's our goal. That's just uh, sure. If, there, if there's one thing any reproducing species is for, in quotes, it's to make more of themselves. Right. But so we've been we've been sort of optimized for that. Um, but I wouldn't say that's our species goal. Writing stories, music. Right, right. If once we've once we've divorced ourselves from Azathoth and have become the god shatter that values other things, we can think about what actually um we would like to pursue. Yeah. And, so I think everyone has their own thing. Yeah. And that's why it is I mean, yes, everyone has their own thing, which is why we're trying to help everyone be able to maximize what they value whatever that is unless life. they're a nazi yeah, which yeah so we should just give them better values and maximize those <laughs> <laughs> you know when you talk of, of raising the sanity water line that sounds kind of eerily similar to what right isn't that what we're trying to do yeah. it sure sounds like it if you if you if you put a sinister lens on it yeah i mean isn't that what coherent extrapolated volition is <laughs> i mean i certainly Being like well your values are dumb but if you were smarter and better you'd value this so let's do that I certainly think there's some values that are much more conducive to people living together and others that would create a lot of strife. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? You know what I'm... would be really conducive to people living together? Wireheading. <laughs> oh my God. Would it be wireheading? <laughs> Connecting them all to pods. I mean, actually not because we don't have the technology to like, you know, have AIs take care of us and stuff. So it's a bad idea now, but eventually. So the whole thing of, I you love know. Wes. This is great. No, no, it's great. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm having a great time. Uh, you're the best troll. Uh, <laughs> it's funny how much he hates trolls on our Discord. Maybe he just <laughs> doesn't want competition. Because he's the best one. Like, that's right. The others. Anyway. See, you guys just say that because you I, you, you I, don't have good arguments against any of this. I, I think you're being sincere. No, I, and I, yeah. I, I, I think he's being sincere, yeah. yes. Well, so I, like, I just... on a, on a, so like, I feel like, Eniash, I'm pretty sure you have, like, this totally unreasonable position that, like, if we were in the Matrix, that that, that would be bad. That you'd want to, like, I escape it, and go live in the shitty world. I mean, I think it depends on a number of variables, but in general, being in the closer to physical baseline reality is uh, better, yes. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't follow that at all. Even, like, beyond the wireheading thing, I feel like the things, you know, if we're making our own meaning... I don't think there's any difference between giving meaning to, you know, s people in a simulation or people in, quote, the real world. Yeah, no, if I knew that the Matrix existed um, and I could pursue basically my goals in there, because my goals mainly concerned with are mainly concerned with art and 
interacting with va- other humans. Yeah, and in bringing value to other humans and being, you know, being considered valuable by other humans. I would probably be perfectly happy in the Matrix. Oh, okay. Uh, then I, yeah. I, I was, I misunderstood your position. I, I'm the weird one who would, who would like, who might like the real world, but the Matrix is so much better than the shitty real world. Yeah. Well, that, like at that, like I said, I wouldn't let the universe die on that hill. But <laughs> other things being equal, what, or like if if maybe colors just were just a little more vibrant in the Matrix, I'd be like, nah, I like the meat space more. But I'm just weird, and I and I acknowledge that's probably not one of the major problems of the Matrix. At least originally, was that you weren't allowed to leave the Matrix, and that can yeah. become a really issue because some people want to interact with the real world, and other people um <laughs> feel like they need to do something in the real world to keep the rest of humanity safe or whatever and i want yeah you I would had want no control there were robot overlords using those batteries yeah i would want people to have the uh option to bug out to the real world if they want to yeah or give them the controls of the simulation but like the weird thing would be like if you told everyone this is a simulation like like people's happiness would tank and like that that's why like i mean this this they, would it i don't know maybe we're getting too far afield i i'm, I'm more just I, i'm stuck up on my own brain on the question of because you guys both said you'd rather die than be wireheaded mm-hmm. and i'm thinking like gun to my head that's actually a really tough call like i, I wouldn't volunteer for it but it's like if i was otherwise gonna die like i might as well just be a bliss you know uh bubble for <laughs> as long as i can right like why not i think personally um there's for from what I experience, there is literally no difference between being dead and being wireheaded, but I would want to be dead rather than being wireheaded because then I would deny the assholes who are wireheading me the pleasure of thinking that they've done something good. So fuck you. I if they're to me, if they're indistinguishable, but the world is better that you don't get to feel good about what you've done to me, I'd rather be dead. Hey, I, I, We're gonna that. wirehead ourselves, so we'll feel good anyway. I can respect that with your with your last value being spite. <laughs> <That's> perfect. <laughs> Like I said, I tried hedonism and I hated it. I think I just get bored. And I know like, you know, there's always the like, well, then you'd take the boredom neurons out of (laughs) your brain or whatever. But like, yeah, eventually you just take out every neuron. So all that's left is this one neuron in the pleasure center of your brain. That's always active. Happiness is a reward signal for doing certain behaviors. Get like the dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine cocktail unless you take and all those out yeah like, but no, then you're well, back to you're maximizing all of those and then but, the, maybe but then you're back to the goal of the goal of everything is to reproduce like that's what it's all you know so not designed but, for but you know, optimized the god for. Thing. what's that any like, mentioned the we are god shatter sequence yeah like yeah like that structure exists to reproduce but it's gotten really fucked up over time and we kind of value the ways that now we like art and music and dance Uh and exploration discovery like there's people that choose those things over reproducing Hmm. or they have sex with protection and enjoy the relationship they have with the other person and you know i happen to like be pretty attached to these you could call them flaws in our species but I don't know, gives us character. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying if you wanna if you're if you're getting into like what what these things are for, like if they're they're either not for anything or they're for reproduction. Um like like the, the impulses in our brain and our responses to things like music and art and and reproduction and survival beauty and, and all of that. Yeah, but survival well, survival is only is is only there to serve reproduction. Breed, although not like praying mantises. But survival yeah. instrumental value. Yeah. Yeah. But some of them have to have valued survival. So about fifty percent of them do. So they continue to have a species. Of the mantises, you mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, okay, okay. The 
I'm doing a stupid joke, but uh, female mantids <laughs> often will cut off the head of the male mate with him and then eat the rest of his body. Hot. And the males half the time yeah, will I, submit I, to that. Or, I, you know, they just get caught. No, I, I remember hearing about that. It's pretty famous. But also, isn't that like something that turns out to be much more rare in, in practice than yeah. people thought? If there's if basically if the female is starving, she will eat the male. But most of the time, that's not the case. But okay. I'll say that we had a lot of wild mantises around where I lived in New Jersey and I would often come across headless mantises that because hmm. insects have brains that are spread throughout their bodies that you know would still live a few days so oh. she she just killed him not because she was hungry for the whole thing just just to kill him then basically yeah I mean she, mantises she, are also like how much can you really very eat? violent if, if I were to kill and eat someone I might be full once I'm done with the head <laughs> it was funny yeah, and you value food very, very much <laughs> Yes, this joke is more succinct. He just said hot. I was going to say, I never thought I'd die this way, but I'd always really hoped. <laughs> it's probably one of the better ways to die. Can you just wait till after to cut my head off? That'd be great. I mean, I could get into more cool biology stuff like traumatic insemination. No, no that, that is not. Uh, I, don't want to talk about that. I didn't like the first part of that word at all. <laughs> yeah. All right, just do yourself a favor and Google duck penis. No, it's no. too late now. It's already in our heads. No one. <laughs> so, I mean, if I've ever. You know, this is the closest. This might be among the closest thing Earth has to an info hazard. Don't do that. <laughs> I enjoy doing that. I like learning about the weird shit that we have on this planet. I would say look up a tailless whip scorpion. I want to get one as a pet. I will they never do that because you just said you like the spiders. No, Stephen, you don't like spiders. You will fucking hate this thing. It's a spider, but worse. Don't. Ah, oh, great. That's that's my brain now. That's all right. <laughs> so did we, did we cover? Pet. Did we cover all the beefs? Did we get to the second one? Yeah, man. That was the wireheading stuff. Which, I think. Oh, the wireheading was the second one? Oh, okay. And, and you watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, right? Oh, yeah. You know, remember their Thanksgiving one? Oh, yeah. No, I actually watch that every Thanksgiving. They So they, <laughs> they, they're, and this isn't like typical of the show. They're just all being uncharacteristically ridiculous. They're inviting, because they, they've ruined, they burnt bridges all over town and like they can't write movies, they can't do whatever. So they're inviting everyone over for Thanksgiving dinner so they can like wipe the slate clean and bury the hatchet. And like, one brings a bucket of sand and a hatchet. One brings some <laughs> slate and a rag. And, like, right, right. and they so serve they squash think. and beef for dinner. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. All right, so, um, Wes, do you have beefs with us that we need to bury? No, not at all. You guys are great. Okay. You're like my favorite people. Likewise, bud. This is great. <laughs> awesome. You can be your favorite people. We're not even in the same state as you. I mean, uh, I interact with you guys it. more than most people. I thought we were all transhumans here. We're not location dependent, are we? And I, I, I'll tell you what, I'll wirehead you guys last. Oh my god, <laughs> I appreciate it. I mean, if I just if you want to do me the best favor, kill me last. Don't wirehead me. All right, I'll, okay how about, I'll give you a taste of the wireheading, then ask. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll turn it off. So we just bring it back to normal. I know several people. Uh, who have tried a drug like cocaine or heroin once and then said that I need to never do that again. Yeah, you can do that. And the other thing I was going to say was, if there's a definition of wireheading that's pretty close to the... Why can't it's, I... The experience machine? No, the the My Little Pony one. The Yeah, friendship is optimal world. Um, I might be down for that, because that actually still let people keep their personalities and pursue their other values as long as they were okay with being turned into a pony. One of the things about the My Little Pony dystopia that was kind of dystopic was that people often ended up in universes where they were the only person, but and everyone else was just kind of a flat simulation designed there to make. No, them they more. weren't flat; they were fully sentient. I, 
you or know, at least that, that was I guess that's up again. to debate. Yeah, yeah that, that's sort of the debate about like whether this is a utopia or dystopia. If Princess Celeste AI was just lying and creating a bunch of pea zombies that lived with you, but she claimed that she was creating sentient life. In that case, it wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, and also she was increasing people's mental capacity, so their Dunbar's number would go up, so they could have more friends. And that sounds great. The individual universe bubbles were slowly like merging merging Honestly, and i thought that, like, that was pretty cool see it's Sounds it's a dystopia optimal. with like but in a few million years this will be a utopia so it was all worth it mm-hmm. um wes actually i coming back to what you said if you could literally in some way turn on the wire heading and then turn it off again and completely revert me mm-hmm. mask me i think i'd probably be okay with that because at that point i'd be like well that was very similar to being dead so no i'd rather not I think it would be a very easy way to reject that. Or you'd be like, holy shit, my pants are soaked. This was awesome. Plug me back in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I wouldn't do that. Yeah, no, I mean, assuming that you really could put me back to how I was before the wire heading, then yeah, I should be fine because I don't think that would be a hard temptation to resist at all. All right. um, Let's compromise. We'll just do heroin together. Terrifying. I mean, I want to at some point try heroin, but I'm kind of thinking until like wait until I'm really old and close to dying anyway, because I I, uh, I thought you were going to be immortal. Well, you know, yeah, right? depending on how the future shakes out. I'm hoping that we can be uploaded and just experiment with different brain states. That would be great. I, I don't, don't do heroin old... because yeah. that was my dad's one uh, uh, recommendation to me about drugs. <laughs> was don't like, ever do heroin? Don't do heroin. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Did one he of... say why? Oh, it's just, it ruins people's lives. Yeah, one of the people that I mentioned who I know in real life who tried heroin or cocaine and then never did it again was my dad. He did the same thing with cigarettes, too. It's Mm -hmm. funny because my dad seems like, he's he's a builder and he's just like super, you know, uh, Mr. Rogers-y. And then just every so often, like, he'd get drunk and be like, hell yeah, I tried cocaine. He was doing science. (laughs) I, it, it was so good that I, I, I got off it. I was like, shit, I need to never touch that shit again. I don't understand why people in hospice care who are going to be dead yeah. in a matter of weeks aren't just given any drugs they want. Right? I get right to on at some point. Dumb laws. Fucking stupid. Well, I mean, there, there, there's nothing. The FDA. There's, yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no interesting discussion there. It's because it's illegal. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Medical ethics. Uh-huh. Euthanasia is allowed in Colorado. Uh, medically aid and dying. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're terminal, you're allowed to check out your own terms. That's why this is one of the great God. states to be in if you are signed up for cryo. Yeah, right. Remind me to die in Colorado. Yeah, and I did learn recently <laughs> that... You again first. I, I was... For some reason, I had it in my head, maybe because I signed up prior to 2016 when euthanasia was allowed in Colorado, but... Um, or I think it was 2016. But yeah, uh, back at, back in my day when I signed up, you you weren't allowed to uh, be suspended. You, you weren't eligible for cryo, cryopreservation if you killed yourself. Right, right. Um, but now that you, I did find out uh, a, a few months ago that you, <laughs> since you are allowed in Colorado to, uh, you know, have medical aid in dying, um, they, chronicists don't care how you died as long as it was on the up and up. So, mm. yeah, you're allowed to take your cocktail, hang out for the hours it takes to kill you, and then have the cryo team right there. Cool. To, yeah. I don't think it's because it's a sin. I think it's because it would do exposed the moral hazard liability yeah they'd, they'd be like oh well you're making all these people kill themselves so we're going to shut you down now and it, it does have some perversion it's probably it. because you actually because your life insurance won't pay out and no life insurance will pay out um if you commit suicide as long as you've had the life insurance for i believe at least three years oh. it depends on the policy okay 
Interesting. I'm not a life insurance person, but I know I'm sure it's policy. De- I'm sure it depends on the fine print. Yeah. 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 But most most uh, life insurances will after a certain period of time. This is not advice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I mean, uh, we're I, all dying every day anyway, apparently. So. Oh, God. No, we're all evolving every day, apparently, man. No, I mean, I actually agree with Wes. We are dying every day. And I evolving. I continue to observe. Yeah. I'd like to preserve the ability to just continue to keep doing stuff yeah around and observing stuff. doing stuff is tight mm-hmm. yeah it, it's better than the alternative <laughs> i mean maybe i haven't really i guess i try the alternative every night when i sleep and i have like deep sleep but then that just feels like nothing i mean honestly the doing stuff yeah, is tight is the is the basic argument for why wireheading sucks because <laughs> doing stuff is tight and you can't do stuff anymore once you're wireheaded i suppose I mean, doing stuff is tight but you got to consider the alternative we don't have a better one right now yeah the the, the, the comeback would be being wireheaded is tighter. Mm, yeah. man, that's a bad bad comeback. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe we should wrap up. Yeah, well, all right. <laughs> I had a, I had a great time. This is fun. Later than we usually oh yeah. Enjoy. No, I actually I do have to go because um uh David um the Lancaster one? David Economist. yeah Wizard David. The joke is that they're both wizards now. Yeah, right. That's a joke. But he he brought me anyway. dry age steaks. And we're having them for dinner. Gene's cooking them right now. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, we are sorry for pulling you away from that for this period of time, but it was great to hang out with Fucker you. keeps bragging mm-hmm. about all of his, like, friends. God. Uh, Wish I was I going had to say cool, like, chef tools, but. Oh, okay. Various meats. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of fun with us. We need to do this more often. I feel like all we right. hang out, like, but we don't, I don't know, we, we don't talk as, as much as I feel like we do because I listen to you every other week. So, <laughs> right. Friendly reminder if there happens to be anybody listening to this that doesn't listen to The Mind Killer, check out that show. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a great show. I enjoy it a lot. And all also, right. oh. uh, listen to Not Everything is a Clue. Oh, yeah. It's also a good one. Yeah. Shameless plug for the other thing that we do. We'll have links to both of those, but we should plug Wes's harder because he is here now and he is not usually here. That's and true. Plug, plug Wes Hard sounds like a, a wireheading joke, and I can get on board with that. Oh, I, I thought it was really like a title of your sex tape joke. That but, too. Okay. <laughs> and on that note. Good night, everybody. And Wes, thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. And now that Wes is gone, we can finally thank a patron without him. We wouldn't want him to know the names of our patrons, because then he might wirehead them <laughs> against their will. But we're going to tell him the name right now. Well, yeah. if he listens to the show. Why would you listen to a show that you were just on? Good question. Yeah. All right. Well, this episode. Wants to try to pronounce this name. I'll, I'll give it a shot. This week's special shout out to Victor. Forgive me, Ryabstev. Rabstev. That's no. The first Ryab- one's not good. I think. Yeah. Anyway, you mentioned uh, we want more um, when you signed up on January twenty seventh, twenty twenty one. So almost a year ago today. Uh, anyway, thank you so much. You rock. We appreciate you. Yes, thank you, Victor. Um, you are helping to fulfill our values by both listening to us and uh, donating money, and we appreciate it greatly. And we're the cabal of people that are resisting wireheading, so... That's right. This is all the wireheading I need. Yeah. <laughs> okay. God, this gets tortured. Like, the, I love just beating these jokes to death. <laughs> oh, 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 there's two other things we have to talk about before we go. Oh my god, yep, what yep. are they? So the first thing is that I am going to Hawaii, so I will not be here for our next episode, and you guys are covering for me, I hope. Uh, That's the plan. Okay, some kind of topic. You will come up with it. It's going to be a mystery to me, and then I will listen to it, and I will finally get to experience what all of our audience experiences. <laughs> Have you it's never missed just... an episode? Uh, no, I'm sure I've missed at least one before, but maybe I didn't listen to it? I, I've missed, I know I've missed at least I've one. I've missed two, I think, because okay. I remember I, I listened to the one when I, got, when I was on Honeymoon. 
Mm. I didn't listen to it on Honeymoon, but I, you guys recorded it when I was out. But anyway, the second piece of news is also super exciting, which yeah. I'm glad you remembered. Yes, uh, me too. Uh, so one of my <laughs> values is that I really want to write something good and have like have people like it. And I have done at least that partly because I submitted a story to the Effective Altruism Fiction Writing Contest, and I won third place. And Woo. there's actually multiple uh, prizes for each place. So I was one of the third place winners, not the only third place winner. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of the story. Uh, I'm going to add a link to it. It's only a thousand words, which is about four pages. So you can read it super fast. It's called I See Dead Kids. Uh, it also... <laughs> I see dead kids, not icy as in cold. No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. Although icy ones could be like um um crowd preserved ones. Preserved yeah, reference. Nice. Yeah, I know. Uh, but like I see dead people. I see yeah dead kids. Um the the thing the thing about this uh contest was that it paid like an enormous amount of money for a fiction contest. Uh, so I am getting paid more per word from this than anything I've ever gotten paid for before. Uh, he just bought a house with cash. This is how. <laughs> He's super Not deserving. at all true. <laughs> but I mean, like, the grand prize for this was $10,000 for a story. That is ridiculous. Uh, to put in context how ridiculous that is, most full novel advances are half that amount for science fiction fantasy novels. So you're saying that other writers out there should write effective altruist? Well, I mean, fiction. it's kind of too late now. They I should mean, go back in time and write they something. Might do more of these at some point. Oh, well, in that case, yeah. yeah. But you super deserve it, man. Yeah. Uh, how much do we have to pay you to have you do an audio version of it or do you not want to be the one to do it uh i'm gonna do it for free oh rookie mistake sir you could have been paid more per word to do an audio version than ever before there is uh (laughs) some some talk uh going around about maybe producing an audio version of this as well and uh if that goes through i'm gonna do the audio version of mine and you know maybe contribute on some others we'll see awesome yeah cool all right yep so um yeah that, that was my news. Uh, I just wanted to promote that because these people are great and paid a lot of money, and uh, they should get rewarded with lots of you know praise and go read, go to the forums and read this. Well, thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. And for for clarification, I know that you didn't do the the cash offer on a house. That was just making a joke because yes. it's too good a timing. So, yeah. all right, <laughs> cool. All right, uh, thank you for joining us, everybody. And I won't be here in two weeks, but these two will be here in two weeks. So they'll see you then. Good yeah, night, everybody. See ya.